Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Depending on where you are in this rotating globe, welcome to another episode of The Other Side of Midnight, a special time between dusk and dawn when anything can happen, and on this show it probably will. My name is Jonathan Womack. I'm sitting in the captain's chair tonight. Richard is out sick. Uh, He's amidst the wildfires of New Mexico, and there's lots of chemicals in the air, and uh, he's got a pretty bad cough. But he's going to try and call in the uh, top of the third hour, if he's feeling up to it, and go through some of his items. Uh, Tonight, we'll be talking about uh, a Martian doorway that leads to who knows where. Um, We have some of our regular guests with us tonight, and... If you're new to the show, I want to tell you how to get to the show page. You go to the other side of midnight.com and you click on tonight's banner and that takes you to our show page. And under the show page banner, you'll see fast links to Richard's items and the other panelists and uh, links to their bios as well. And uh, also we have tonight, there's a link to the gigapan that is the subject of tonight's discussion. Um, So if you're on the show page, you can scroll down to Richard's items. It's number 11A. So it's important, uh, if you want to play along, open up that gigapan image, and you can see what we're looking at. You can make it full screen. You can zoom in. You get a closer look. Lots of goodies there to see. So we'll be going through that tonight. Uh, Let's see. I want to give a shout out to Keith Morgan, the show engineer. Uh, He's doing double duty these days, uh, doing the IT media and also the webmaster. And uh, he put a lot of the show together tonight, kind of last minute. So a salute to Keith for his hard work and uh, his loyalty and determination and, and just everything. He's, he's an inspirational guy to me. So let's see. Um, I'm going to go through my items first, and uh, then we'll be bringing in Andrew. Uh, before I get started, I want to mention a, a little synchronicity I had this, this afternoon. I get a call from a private investigator with a book proposal. Uh, one of my jobs is a publisher at Charles River Press. And it turns out his his name is Paul Baresi, and he was Amber Heard's private investigator during the uh, Heard-Johnny Depp trial these last several weeks. And as I said, he's putting together a book proposal, and we had a nice chat. And I said, uh, you know, I'm kind of an investigator, too. I'm on the show with Richard Hoagland. (laughs) We talk about Mars and so on. And he said, well, that's pretty far out. Uh, You know, I work with... uh, you know, infidelity and murders and these kind of things, but you know, maybe I'll check it out. So if you're out there listening, Paul, welcome to the show, and hopefully we can pique your interest. Um, so with that said, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Um, we're going to start with my items and click on the fast links there. Let's see, Jonathan. And item number one is a grid, grid view of the mound that we're looking at tonight, or barrow, I'm calling these barrows. Um, Number two is an example of a weapon, the 
I could do a whole show on Mars weaponry and rock tech. And you find these turrets, most of them and these larger ones will be next to the main entrances. There's always a main entrance uh, on the left end of the barrow and the right end. And then you'll have other entrances along the way. But there's always the two main entrances at each end of the barrel. <clears throat> and in number two, this turret uh, is right next to an entrance, just to the left of the turret. If you're looking on the gigapan, um, you can see there's a, a big, big as day, clear as day entrance just to the left of this turret. And let's see, number three, uh, here's another turret. This is uh, just off to the left of image number two. Um, again, you see these blue bands of the turrets. They, they use this rock tech. They don't have wires and, and this kind of thing like we have here. Their science is very different. And they use uh, elements of, of the rock and crystalline structures and, and all these things that we haven't got to yet. We haven't discovered. We, we don't know. Uh, when we look back one day and go, gosh, why didn't we pick up on this sooner? But anyway, um, number four is uh, just one example of translucent rocks. They're all over this uh, gigapan and all over the planet. Um, the gigapan, if you look in the top right qu quarter of the gigapan, it's, that area is just super colorful. It's gold, orange, blue. Uh, it's really something to look at. And you have to remember, this is very old. These ruins are very old. And you try to remember it how it was back in the day when it was pristine. Um, you know, like I mentioned, the waterfalls of Victoria Crater with all these light stones, light rocks uh, behind them that would make a scene. Um, you know, somebody's doing something, queen, somebody is, is doing this or this kind of thing. Okay, number five, uh, here's, here's a nice example of uh, Martian aircraft. Yes, they're made out of rock and it levitates and moves and flies. And I've noticed with you know, many years of looking at these images, whenever you see the aircraft docked at a barrow, they're always docked in this slab of rock. I call it a, a docking port. But when you see these aircraft at the airports and spaceports, they, they're just on the ground. They're just on the runway. They don't, I don't notice these docking ports. So there's something going on there. Um, and number six, just another example. I mean, I did this this afternoon in about half an hour. I just went along the top ridge from right to left and, and took some pictures and added some annotations. And so number six, there's so much to see here, of course. And, but um, yeah, you can see where a couple of these rocks have fallen over. And then you have the exposed AI rock. You know, Mars is a smart planet. They, the rock is intelligent and living, and they made a whole planet out of it. So you can look at those images at your leisure, and you've got the gigapan up now, so you can look at that. And I'm going to go ahead and bring in our first guest. Andrew is a regular guest to those uh, of you who, are, who listen to the show on a regular basis. Uh, Andrew Curry is a storyboard artist for Hollywood and uh, corporate advertising and all these kind of things, and he's got a keen eye for details, and he picks up on things that a lot of times um, is, 
the average person does not see. And he brings a lot of insight to the conversation. He's a valued member of our team and a regular guest. So, Andrew, welcome back to the other side of midnight. Hey, Jonathan, thank you very much, and thank you for hosting the show. And and to Keith, tipping our hats, um, I know he sounded really tired today because he's juggling a lot of <laughs> balls in the air. So, Keith, thank you again. I think uh, Jonathan was right about duration. So, yeah, hi, Jonathan. Say hello. Let's yeah, go to no. your items there, Andrew. Yeah, so if you go to my items, it's under the guest page, and it says fast links to items, and it's Andrew. And, you know, since the show, our show banner is about this, uh, well, we're calling it a Martian doorway. That's kind of was my, my focal point um, for this. And my number one is actually an old item that I never got to cover before in an old show. And the only reason I brought this one up, I think most of us have the same image. This is actually from the Curiosity Rover Mass Chem, straight from their, their raw data, is Tim Saunders, who's also a regular guest on the show and has done a lot of work here for the other side of midnight. Uh, immediately, you know, a few weeks back when we talked about this, brought out uh, King Tut's tomb entrance in Egypt. And I just thought that was an interesting comparison. Um, again, very rectilinear, uh, an opening that seems to go back into the stone, as you talk about, um, Jonathan. And we'll come out of that and we'll go to my number two. Now, this is, I call this a, an artistic interpretation. So this is a screen capture, my number two. Can I hold uh, all, hold you there, Andrew? Sure. Yeah. I've noticed uh, with your item number one, oh. the U.S. military, their underground entrances are the same design. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you amazing. noticed that? Yeah. Actually, very good point. Huh. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it certainly looks like some sort of opening to me, some sort of portal. I know some – I know NASA's might be explaining it as a – some sort Erosion. Of, yeah, erosion or fissure or fracture or something, and the piece just fell out. I'm like, wow, pieces fall out in beautifully geometric ways. Oh, this is um, my shocked face. Yeah. No, and, and the details, I, I mean, we might dig down into this a bit. I mean, I know there's, there's a lot to go in our show for a lot of images, but, you know, this is the, this is the entrance point, right, Jonathan? I mean, this is where we get started, and yeah. I know there's a lot of details on this thing that, you know, you can pick up on. But if we do go to my number two, I, I took a screen capture. Uh, Richard was, you know, frantically sharing Neville Thompson's Gigapan. Uh, Gigapans are like these. Well, actually, Jonathan, do you want to describe what they are? You probably might do a better job than me. Yeah, they're assembled by uh, Neville Thompson and Keith Laney, or two of the mo more prominent people that have dedicated their lives to creating these Gigapans. They assemble. Uh, you know, 20 or more images and, and sew them together in one panorama. And uh, they're very high resolution, so you can zoom in and get a, a good look at lots of detail. Yeah. John, what's the distinction between those and the ones that JPL puts out? I don't know. Panorama what? Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm unclear. It's, but it's another, they're mosaic panoramas like, uh, like those, right? Yes. Just usually, just usually a lot crisper <laughs> than NASA's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Question. Uh, <laughs> good play. Hey, Ron, how you doing? <laughs> Hi, uh, Andrew. So one of the things that Richard asked me to do, and I know he's been battling smoke, and uh, I know um, Biden was flying over 
and checking it all out. So that's in actually in Richard's items, which he might talk about if he does come on the air. But one of the things that Rich and, and also if Richard comes on, he's going to fully explain why he asked me to do a pastel rendering. So what I did of this entryway, I, I think it's a doorway. I actually think it's uh, well, we might get into this a little later, but I think it was housing something very special. That's what I think. And um, well, again, what we might get into it a little bit later if we do, and I'll bring that back up. But right now, what he asked me to do was usually what I do is like pencil sketches um, and then do a lot of sort of photoshopping to just find details and depth and these kinds of things. But he said to me, Andrew, do you mind doing a, a pastel of this entrance? Because it has a linkage to one of the first images that NASA, you know, sort of broadcast to the world. I believe it was in the in the Viking days. And if I'm screwing that up, Richard, if you're listening, then you have to come on and correct me. But anyways, let me just explain what I what I did. So I, I did a, a looser sort of pastel uh, rendering of this thing. And I, I mentioned to Richard today, um, after I did this, I said, you know what, Richard? I said, first of all, thank you for asking me to do it because I kind of, you know, well, one of the things that well, I'm a, an art therapist. I'm not practicing right now, but I am trained as one. And one of the things that you know happens in art therapy is you often, as a as an art therapist, observe what people use for their implements, like what they use to create their art. And often, I have to use pencils because just because of precision or a, or my mouse or whatever. And so it's very you know infrequent that I get to use more expressive things like pastels. But I'm going to tell you guys. When I drew this thing and I started to fill it in uh, with uh, the pastels, I I am finding underlining grid work and elegance in the line. I mean, I know this thing is highly eroded. What what Jonathan called a, a a barrow, you know, like a mound or a small mountain or whatever. Not a mountain, but a small hill. Um, these, this thing is covered in elegant design, guys. And I could like literally feel it as I as I was you know in the mode of using more of a freer uh, material. So that's, that's, you know, and if Richard comes on, he'll explain further why, you know, we did this pastel. So yeah, I, I, I really feel like this is a, a very artificial place as we all probably agree. And like, as an artist, I just really note the elegance of line. I've talked about this countless times before in the, the wreckage that we see throughout our solar system, pull out of that and go to my number three. This is from I don't know if I ever got to share this, but I, the only reason I brought this back in, I, I shared this maybe a few months ago. Oh, yeah. And this is, yeah, I call this Finding a Way In. So this is from the, now, I know Robert Morningstar is here, and he's probably going to correct my pronouncements, but this is from the Chinese uh, probe. Well, this is a satellite shot, but the Chinese probe, the Zhirong uh, rover, I think it's called, or at least the, the probe was called that. And this is an overhead, I guess, of the area that the rover was crawling around in. And there was these really strange, I'm not even sure what, what NASA would call these structures or, or, or these, these forms, but they, they, the, the lines and the form reminded me so much of um, the movie uh, John Carter of Mars, like these really, really kind of like, uh, uh, what would you call it, Jonathan? It's almost like... Um, dragon <laughs> you know like it's these sort of organic um forms that almost look um like like dragon Dra scales drag dragon feathers yeah dragon feathers and there's this one yeah. particular spot that it, to me it looks like a like an entrance to a cave and i sort of mm -hmm. uh did a rendering of it i called the open an opening and then i did a 
a rendering. It's just very fanciful as if we were, we had astronauts on the surface and we were down on the surface. And that's how I would interpret seeing this entrance. So what I was doing this for was to say, wow, there seems to be, if we're interpreting this correctly, a lot of entrance ways into, into very odd structures on Mars, which to me lends more credence to the idea that there's something more going on than just um, natural forms. If we pull out of that, we go to my number four. I have one called Face Within. I don't think I got to share this again a, a couple months ago on the show. So I wanted to bring this back in just because it goes a little bit further than entranceways, although it's mimicking you know, many of the sort of, and this is what I'm thinking, entranceways or enclosures that maybe our little entrance or our door on Mars, the Curiosity rover caught, could be showing us. So in this number four, it says, I, I called it Face Within. And I have two images at the top, one from Cambodia, it's Angkor Thom, very ancient temple site. And then to the right is uh, from Indonesia. So it's a ninth, ninth century Mahayana Yana Buddhist temple in Borodubur, sorry, Borobudur, Java, Indonesia. And you see those openings with these idols within it. And guys, my feeling is that there was something housed in that entrance way so i know some people have been arguing oh it's really small well okay if it's small there could have been something in there and you know even richard discussed today with me that you know was that was the entrance way blown off and are we seeing it lying there down the way now if we scroll down i i was sort of perusing uh you know beyond the entrance way to more of the sort of black and white mars curiosity mass cabin images and this is just yet another mound or barrow, as, as Jonathan would say. And I put boxes from one, two, three, four around these, you know, sort of heaved over, very eroded so-called rock forms. But if you look very closely, and I did close-ups, and then I did drawings, these are faces, guys. And they're faces that are interlocking with other faces. And so you people can have a look at this at their own leisure. And then if you scroll down, what I did is captured erosion effects here on Earth. Now, my very lower left image is from a cathedral in Europe, and I, and I thought I had my label there, and I apologize, folks, that I don't have it. But look at the erosion of that face and compare it to what I think are faces on this mass cam shot from Curiosity Rover. And then the middle one is um, it's called the Chichen face from Chichen Itza, Yucatan, Mexico. Richard's often talked about this when he and Robin visited the site and look at the erosion and how there's this, um, uh, you can still see the images, these carved images. And then finally on the, the right, it's another earthly uh, sculpture. And I believe this one is from the top temple from Indonesia. And again, the erosive effects over time here on earth, it would be, you know, rain and wind and, and sun and just the climate and everything. But it looks to me, boys, like the same kind of features that we're seeing in these these so-called mounds or burrows, barrows on Mars. So that's that's kind of my my summation there, guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, if anybody wants to comment or dig down in any of these or move on, oh, it's either faces or animals. Yep, it, or both. John. Or both. Yeah, because it's probably faces. No, I mean, well, one or yeah. the other. The Martians will have the whole thing is made up of faces and animals. Everywhere you look, yes. I, I totally I haven't seen agree. a lot of animals. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a lot of cats, though, uh, Ron. I, I, feline, I, I, you're right. Feline. You got that. Yeah. Feline yeah, faces. In fact, I, 
Go ahead. Sorry. In fact, no, that's okay. I think I have one of um, yeah, I'm not telling people to go there right this instant, but I'm looking. One of the ones I have, I believe, has a has a cat face in it. I picked that one specifically for Richard's benefit. Let me see if that But I, I, I compiled too many of them. I'm scrolling down there to see if I included that one. And um, so I – no, I didn't. But yes, you're right. There's cat faces all over the, all over the place. But other than that, uh, not a lot of – just a couple of animal things, and they don't usually mix them together. And that, that was kind of a generic anthropological comment, usually kept separate um, here or here or there. But I think you're right about the idea that the uh, door that started all this for the night is a um, – possibly wasn't ever – you know, a long, long corridor. It was a place which had a little uh, devotional station or statue or something at the end of it. Something, yes. And, yeah, because that's very common, and it was very common in Egypt. It was a standard feature. There'd be these things that looked like they put an awful lot of work into a little recess in the wall just to put the statue or the vase there, and they did. Uh, but it's uh, it could be that. Depends on the size, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, and, and again, like with just to swing back to the faces for a second, Ron, I, I mean, my, my point sure. with just capture, yeah, capturing these faces and, and your talk about it, and the same with Jonathan, is that, and I'll say it for the you know thousandth time, if nature can make so many old man in the hills faces all in one particular area and all lined up kind of side by side and often staring in a certain direction, then once again, there's no need for Michelangelo <laughs> or anybody else, you know, you know, here at least in an earthly sense to even be making art because Mother Nature does it better than than any of them. I, I no, I this is these are real to me, real faces, and it's uh, you know, it's phenomenal. It's it's amazing because it's on a place like Mars. Hey, and listen about the entrance way or the door, and I, I meant to to I should add that in before I know we're coming up to a break soon. So this past week, and I was telling Richard this, I said, because Richard had asked me, and he said, Andrew, do you know any architects? And I said, no, I don't. And then I was at the baseball field where I often am, and I was watching my my middle son. Uh, He's 14. He plays on a a baseball team here, local. And I was watching the game, and suddenly one of the other parents walked by this this, um, very wonderful, uh, uh, well, he's Korean, really tall gentleman. And I remembered, oh, he's an architect. So sort of at the end of the game, uh, no, it was in between innings. I said, um, I, I think his name is King. And I said, hey, I said, King, I want to show you something. And I opened up my phone and I opened up the image of the doorway. And I said, what is that to you? And he looked at it and he goes, a cave? I said, oh, does it look like anything specific? And he, he looked at me and he goes, a door. And I said, what did you just say? And he goes, a door. And I said, ah, and I, I you know, kind of, came out a little bit further on it. And I said, do you know where this is? And he looked at me, said, no. And I said, I pointed up at the clouds in the sky. And I said, on Mars. And immediately he laughed nervously and just wanted to go away. (laughs) And Jonathan, I I did the same thing to three of the teenagers who at the end of the game were gathering around. And I, I know a couple of the boys. I said, guys, what's this? And again, they were looking, and they're looking a bit confused and a little bit like suspicious. And and then I said, and then one of them said, "Well, it looks like rock. It's a it's a cave and a cave." And I and I said, "But what does it look like?" And they go, "Well, it looks like a door." 
And then they all agreed. And then I said, do you know where it is? And they said, no. And I said, it's on Mars. And all of them just grinned, nervously laughed, and started packing their baseball bags ready to leave. So <laughs> I don't know. Not everybody's ready, guys. But it, it's very, very interesting. That's for sure. And Andrew, oh, no, you're just battling. Oh, go ahead, John. Sorry. I, I meant to say that um, you recommended that show, Stranger Things, and I started watching it this week. And uh, it, it's a pretty good show. I'm four episodes in. Oh, are you in season one? Yeah. Oh, the season one is excellent. Now, it's a very dark uh, tale, but it's done in that really 80s, wonderful sort of Spielbergian, you know, the Goonies style. It's very, yeah, it's really good. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot to talk about about that too, Jonathan. <laughs> Very interesting show. about. Yeah, they were projecting th- this thing on the Empire State Building last weekend. Did you hear about that? No. And 15 other buildings around the world, these places, uh, you know, tourist places. And uh, we had a caller last weekend. He said, oh, did you guys see they're projecting the Stranger Things? I think it's a monster. Oh, it's some kind of spider. Oh, yeah, that, oh my gosh, this goes off into some really interesting areas that I've been researching with Robert Morningstar. Robert's been, yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a huge show on itself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, okay. I want to uh, bring in Ron Gibran. He's a regular guest and uh, you can read his bio on the show page. And before we go to break, um, Ron, do you want to, introduce your items or, or just give us a brief overview and then when we come back yes. more detail. yeah okay the uh well like everyone else which i already grumped about off the air uh <laughs> there's a pic there's pictures of the door and uh, but uh there i also have some other shots from the same general area so i was going through frame by frame all the raw images from that fall uh for curiosity i found other stuff and it's it's to give people a sense of scale, because I, for one, was outraged at this idea that it's just a little hole. I have nothing against a small hole, but that one's not that small. They're, they're widely lying about it. And one of the images I have is it has an example of it, which originally came provided with an official NASA scale bar, which was clearly a lie. But... Uh, the um, that picture is in a, that the picture of the scale bar is embedded in a technical document. But I, when I tell you how big they said it is, you'll gasp, you'll shake, you'll be shocked. Anyways, I heard it was yeah, one meter. That doorway is a meter tall. That's what I've read. I could um, a meter. It's possible. Small door is fine. You know the uh, most of the tunnels that un- that are connected to the Mayan structures, for instance, in Central America, are the underground stuff is is less than four feet square. That's that's not unusual. It's it's like they had them all built by hobbits, and I mean that mm-hmm. in the um, uh, Homo uh, floresiensis sense. But uh, the it seems like they had maybe that's where all the legends of troglodytes and trolls come from. Um, that there were smaller people that they used for those, or maybe it was just because you were supposed to crawl through devotionally. I've read a, read uh, scholarly papers analyzing it in both ways. But, uh, anyway, um, well, let's see. We don't even get to the break with that. I also have a picture of um, this will save time by setting them up in time. A couple comparison comparing stuff from the current uh, story 
to prior visits, because I think it's possible to get a sense of the size of things uh, just from relative comparison. Like when you look at your own photos, you know, it's like the, more like the, the picture, one of the drawings that Andrew did, the um, of the dragon feathers, and it's he's got the black and white sketch at the bottom that has the astronauts standing there looking at that big hole. And um, the that's whatever that structure is that he's depicting there that's in the picture above it from the orbital camera, uh, it's a lot bigger than that. So either those are gigant, uh, enormous astronauts or the, um, you know, they should have been the specks on there because mm. that stuff, that stuff is pretty sizable. But that's, mm. you know, it's art. It's art. But I'm just saying, you can get a sense of scale uh, if you have enough examples for your mind to work from. And I think that's helpful, even if you have lots of scale bars. I really like that grid that you did, Jonathan, for the um, uh, one of your items. People yeah. don't do that enough so that people can locate stuff, you know, okay, when they're we're discussing. We're approaching the bottom of the hour. <laughs> we're at the bottom of the hour, and uh, we're talking about Mars, which was the art planet back in the day. And we're looking at a particular barrel that has a very interesting doorway and lots of other interesting features. And uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back after these messages. It's funny because I think, you know, I went through my crazy phase where I made mistakes before the internet and before social media and before any of this. Whereas now you can't do that. There's no such thing. So like you're saying about black and white and what it does is it stops people expressing themselves. People are too frightened. It's like, you know, I want to say something, but if, what if I use the wrong term? But I remember a story a couple of years ago where Benedict Cumberbatch, who at the time was a darling in the media's eyes, was complaining about the disparity between the treatment of um, black actors and of white actors. And, and he was sticking up and saying, you know, they're not getting paid as well. They're not getting the jobs that they should be getting. And they're being, there is no equality. But what he said was there isn't equality for colored actors. Well, you've said colored there, Benedict, you can't do that. And so they went for him and he was vilified and he had to come out and do a big apology. Now what it was, it was, it was a slip of the tongue. He's obviously not racist. He's actively trying to say that there is discrimination and he's trying to stick up for that community, but he was vilified and attacked. And that's what happens now. And so when people make their mistakes now, they make their mistakes on the internet. They make their mistakes on social media where they're screenshotted forever. And so, I think that's all part of the conditioning that people are frightened. You know, if you're in a position where I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, in the end, you'll go, well, I won't say anything. The fallout of this is going to be extraordinary with that because people don't realize, you know, when you, 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 you're phoning up the police and grassing on your neighbors and when all this ends, they're still going to be your neighbors and you're still going to have to live next door to them. And good luck with that. Hello everyone, my name's Gareth Ike. It's been a pleasure to talk on the other side of the news. Fantastic conversation with Kinthea, Timothy and Anetta. And I wish you all the best with a fantastic podcast.
Welcome back to the other side of midnight for this ah. June, tw- uh, what is this, June 12th, 2022, and we're talking about a Martian barrel with a wonderful doorway. And when we went to break, we were talking with Ron Gibran. We're going through his images. Right. So, Ron, why don't you take it away? Okay, I'm going to start. Number one, I took the, uh, well, let's see first. Uh, like I said, this afternoon I looked through the NAVCAM images on uh, Curiosity, and I can find no other images other than five pictures, which were obviously specifically taken to feature this doorway or this uh, little hole that, or whatever NASA wants to call it. But they were interested in it enough to take it, take numerous pictures of it, and they're all amazingly similar. You know, they don't vary much. In fact, there's two full-scale, full-frame images, and it's over to the extreme right on one of them and the extreme left on the other. But obviously, they wanted to include some of the context, you know, so none of them are any closer in than that. But they're the biggest, sharpest ones. And so I, I mosaic those two together. There's, there's no, there's negligible overlap. So everything you see is from one picture enhanced by itself and then mated to the other one rather than anything where they're mingled. Uh, sometimes that improves an image, sometimes not. In this case, it was. I figured, okay, this is the sharp. So that's the sharpest I could do, and unfortunately, not in color. But uh, I think you can see, especially if you look at it larger. Let me tap on it and make sure that happens. Boom! There it is. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, it looks like the entrance to a mine. That's what I, I'm not saying. That's what it is, but in terms of shape. There's a tourmaline mine, a, a defunct one, just right across the lake from uh, where I'm sitting. And I can see it with a pair of binoculars, and it, it looks and is shaped kind of like that. So this, to me, is clearly something cut into the um, rock uh, underneath there. But remember, in the, uh, in the Great Pyramid, uh, Giza, num- a number of researchers decided that some of the corridors and features on the inside were cut after the pyramid was built, you know, which seems like a peculiar way to go about things. But Tompkins mentions it in his book and others have affirmed it, you know, that that was just something that they did. And we can't separate the ancient cultures completely. We can't line them up so that we know which one led to which other one once we're mixing in extra planets. But uh, clearly there are connections. And this, this area around this thing on this particular bluff uh, is very Egyptian-looking in a lot of ways. And yet what I, some of this – go ahead. Sorry. I was going to mention there's a canopy, and, and then in front yeah, of the door – Yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah, it looks like a canopy, and then in front of the door it looks like a piece of the door has broken away and landed just several feet in front of the door. It's lying on its side, kind of facing left and right. And if you pick that up and put it in there – it's almost like a revolving door. Okay, you know what I think that is? The one that's lying at a more or less right angle to the uh, white upright bar on the left side of the opening. Um, that's paneling. Paneling. Hmm. Just, you know, just a half-inch thick paneling that was attached. In other words, there was a facing, like the white bar that still shows, across that whole triangular section there. I mean, take a look at the... Uh, that marvelous picture of the entrance to King Tut's tomb that um, Andrew posted, you know, and it's, yeah, they would plaster and stucco 
And I don't know why people think that everybody more than 100 years ago made every sculpture out of a solid piece of rock that was painstakingly chipped away and smooth. No, no, no. They used uh, uh, friezes go back thousands of years. You know, they they used putty and clay and stucco. Uh, and uh, that stuff abrades and erodes away a lot faster than solid rock does normally. And so we're not a lot more... Huh? I was going to say that you have to remember that what we're not seeing is when it was pristine, we see this black and white image. But you have to remember that this had lots of color and there there was all kinds of symbols around here. It's lots of artwork, Mm -hmm. but we don't we're not privy to that because it's just it's ruins and it's crappy looking. But there's a lot of artwork and uh, language and glyphs I mean, these things are all there but they're just not easy to see yeah and in fact uh, well let's see we'll skip down to the ones that matter if you look at number five there's the doorway up uh, at the top and below it is a and it's not supposed to resemble it it's just a similar area uh, from Saul 1033 obviously nowhere near there at all but also from curiosity and that's a real color image, the um, uh, the way it is when JPL doesn't put them together. And <laughs> the uh, uh, you can see there's uh, as as you said there's graffiti, there's glyphs, there's uh, anything you want to mention on there uh, because they decorated everything. And everything. by they I mean I mean the Martians. Uh, and number six is an older one from a very early Saul, Saul 137, when they, they did one of their first big full panoramas that everybody got excited about. And that little hill in the background of the top picture, that's the full frame, uh, excited people because you, on the left side of it is what looked like an entrance or a hole or an adit or a, a crash, whatever. Uh, and, you know, we never got to blow it up and see it very well. So I, with somewhat more modern understanding of the um, what they are. If you blow that up and look, you can get a better look at it. It's, you know, still won't be perfect, but you can see there's a structure there and it's not dissimilar to what's probably underneath all that rubble uh, on the uh, recent one. They just didn't give us uh, pictures that were framed this well. So that, that was, in the, that's another one there for comparison. Um, and number nine, this is one I argued about with um Richard a little bit because um, the, uh, the the full frame or actually it's only part of it because it's from a panorama. There was no single frame that had all the stuff that needed to be in it. Uh, and that squarish area that's uh, in the top thing there, I, call, I say corrugated, uh, it looks like a medieval tapestry in terms of style and, and uh, you can see there's a figure that's sort of clutching his hands against his chest in a prayerful manner on the uh, left with someone standing behind them. They're very blocky-looking figures, and I don't usually accuse those things, except this was there's so darn much of it. Yeah. And if you, blow, if you, if you look at the lower image and you um, blow it up, then look above that area, and, um, yeah, you can, yes, you can see it. Uh, 
there's a large blue lump of stuff that's kind of leaning against the upper right corner of that squarish green area. How's that for technical description? And you'll notice there's a, there's a face in the lowest left-hand corner of that mass, and it looks like a god kind of looking down lovingly on his followers uh, or her with a somewhat big nose. But anyway, you can see there's a profile there. And, uh, the, uh, and there's other sculptural stuff all over it. Now, the reason that this is up here is from a sense of scale. Does that, don't tell me. But do you have some idea how big that green area is? I do not. Uh, according to the scale bar that was included in a technical paper that was talking about something ridiculous, like one of the rocks on the ground to the extreme left or something, with all that rubble there, uh, they were talking about something else. But they had a scale bar with centimeters on it. And that whole green area is, according to them, uh, 14 inches wide. Oh, come on. Police. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, just a handful of centimeters wide. And that's uh, so you apply that to the height, you know, because otherwise, if they were right, they do this. They diminutize, is that, is that be a word? Uh, all kinds of stuff that way because they figure, okay, people don't have a scale for reference. And so they'll just take what we say. And, but if that was true, then all the traversing that's been done by all the rovers put together. Uh, could have fit within the confines of a miniature golf course. Yes. You know, because mm -hmm. that would mean that all these hills, which are clearly, this one's probably, what, uh, 60, 60 feet tall next to the rover. That's, yeah. Well, that's what your gut would tell you just from hiking around in the, in the, uh, in the open uh, ground once in a while. The, uh, yeah, and it's, but, you know, by their standards, it would be, what, four feet high. It's not a four-foot ridge. You know, you can look at the pebbles and everything your entire life has accumulated and determining how big things are that you might trip over tells you, no, 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 that's more than four feet high. You know, so yeah. they make a lot of these silly assumptions, uh, assumptions and they expect people to just swallow them. So that's why that one is there. But it's the, really and small then, and, it's, and it's erosion. That's usually how it goes. Right, and yet you can see how much sharp, sharp detail there is in that stuff, even though it's you know corroded by the weather and the ages and plaster falling off and the paint getting abraded. Uh, the, uh, it's still got more detail than it should have if it was ground down by nature that way. Now, number 10 is the same general area as the, the Curiosity is now, you know, but uh, nearby somewhere, obviously, because it's... Uh, Saw 3306 instead of uh, 3466. So it's, you know, it's around there somewhere, but it's a different. Maybe they say other side, another bluff. Uh, blow that up and take a look at it and look at the texture of the surface. And it's very, um, uh, well, it looks like it's made out of rattan or something. You know, that's, how do you, how do you explain that as rocks? I mean, I don't care what kind of geology you, you quote. You know, it, it does not, that's not rocks. Yeah. Uh, and it's also been wildly decorated at, at one time. Most of that's gone. Um, I'm sure the right and, side of that, I see uh, a big, like, Anunnaki or whatever you want to call them. It's, uh, that's a, a face at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, these barrels always have a face at, at the either end. Sure. And this looks like a... I see a forehead and an eye, nose, and like a beard coming down, um, crown, you know, this kind of thing. And 
Yeah, this is all, every inch of this yeah. is sculpted yeah. meticulously with care and love. Yeah, and it's a, and in some cases, they were able to do it on a sort of a mass production uh, arrangement. See, if you think everything's a solid block of stone that somebody chipped away at for months, no. that's one thing. But if, but if you recognize that things are, are clad, that they have panels, they have tarps, they have uh, painted layers and stucco and frescoes and things on them, then you can you can uh, accomplish a hell of a lot more detail in a more reasonable amount of human effort and um, uh, time. The uh, the one picture that we don't seem to have up anywhere is from the close up from of the door from that um, um, uh, Nigel uh, Thompson Gigapan. Neville Thompson. I thought yeah. Neville Thompson. I'm sorry. Yeah, mm -hmm. he, he did it. He did a wonder. He did a wonderful job, basically working from the same thing as that JPL panorama. That's you know, that's except it's. Uh, they went out of their way to make it look all curvy. Uh, you know, it looks it's not exactly horseshoe shape, maybe boomerang, but it was that. That was. They. Were, I'm not saying they warped it, but they were pushing it. You can take you know, you take a smaller section, and it's of course it's got a top and a bottom, but it's not. It's the whole landscape doesn't curve like a fisheye lens. You know, you can see that when you look at it. It's just that was the area of coverage by the camera that happened to, you know, not fill in all the corners. Um, but uh, we don't have an, an example of that. But right below that, this thing is uh, a one that is very small. Richard's, uh, some of Richard's uh, mouse's ancestors. Uh, this is number 11, item 11 of yours? Number 11, yeah, and uh, that was, that's all 248 from um, uh, Perseverance. And the top image is uh, from the nav cam, and it's got a little piece of the rover in the, uh, visible in the corner of the frame, speaking Excuse of scale. Excuse me, an idea of scale, yeah. Yeah, so that's, so that little hole is maybe two inches big, you know, the, in the bottom of the bottom center of that rock. It's still strange that it's there, but there's and there's a blow up version of it down below it from the um, a mast cam shot, and uh, clearly the same thing. But you can see you blow it up big like that, and the whole it looks bigger, like it's something bigger. But there's what it really is. That one clearly we have documentation of how big it actually is. Well, we don't have any corresponding comparison shot for the unfortunately for the um, uh, the current doorway. But then the next one is a shot from, let me make sure, yeah, a shot from Curiosity on the top and a shot from uh, Perseverance on the bottom. Item 12? Uh, yeah, item 12 is just some rubble. Uh, oh, again, yeah. that ridge, you know, and that's, that's not a particularly tall ridge, at least relative to wherever the rover is sitting. But, um, you know, you can see the layers and the carving, and the, the, right on the top there's clearly a carved block of that little stack there. But then the one down below, that looks burned. You know, there, there are occasions when we see things that look like they've been burnt to a crisp. And that's an interesting clue since there wasn't supposed to be some atmosphere for so long. And that's, I think it's I, the blue stones of Stonehenge. I mean, this they make – you were talking about the, the rock before. Mm -hmm. When I look uh -huh. at this, I see they are manufacturing the rock, and they put these chemicals that we don't – we don't know about this stuff and it has something to do with monotome monotomic elements too and and how they react with stone and uh crystal and structure within the stone and like in 
one of the researchers at Stonehenge said that each of these rocks had a, a crystalline structure, a unique one, so that when you tap on it, it resonates with a different sound, and it's because of the crystalline structure, and he has a picture of it. And so it just I, I'm seeing this technology. It's technology. They manufacture the stone so that it has these different properties. And we see this in the pyramids and all this kind of stuff on Earth. But on Mars, it's do just... Do they manufacture it or do they modify it? So we don't really know. It's a techno- it is a technology. It's a technology, right, technology. Right. yes. Yeah, because the, uh, uh, there was a recent report, I think like two years ago, from the uh, they were doing some repairs at Stonehenge and on because uh, they had to patch one of the sarsen stones. Mm-hmm. It had it had been it had broken, uh, fallen and broken and been stuck back together years ago, and they were they were I guess correcting that, and so they had the opportunity to actually analyze the inside, and yeah, they they recorded that there was a crystalline structure which was clearly aligned on purpose. You know, the stone was placed so that the crystalline structure was aligned in a particular direction for some particular reason. So, so there, um, you're right. That's not just fortune teller talk. Yeah, and when Maria was there on March 20th, uh, just a few months ago, uh, on the uh-huh. equinox, and we had this radio reception, and she recorded, and I think what we got was the most striking thing of all of our ET project uh, data was that these we got these wavering ringtones from the different stones. It's like, woo, 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 And then you get another one, woo, 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 woo. And then the next one would be a chime. There'd be three of the stones are going, woo, 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 <laughs> And we, it's the same thing on Mars. These stones, I believe, many of them would resonate when they, um, you know, you're singing or that's what I, like they used to sing at, at, at Stonehenge. And the, the shows sure. would break, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, it sounds like you, like myself, and probably more people than would ever admit it to strangers, uh, have uh, been in places where that was, seemed like a good idea, and you tried going, um, you know, or singing or something just to see what would happen. Yeah, it's uh, clearly there. Okay, number 13, another one from Perseverance, just so that there's some newer stuff to look at. That's some genuine... Ruins. I mean, that's just what I, is somebody going to tell me that there's some uh, accident of nature that could arrange that stuff that way? It's another uh, barrel. Yeah. What you? What do you say, barrel? Isn't a barrel covered with sod? It's a Martian normally? barrel. Yeah. A Martian. Well, barrel. okay. I mean, because I said, yeah, I, I was, uh, but but they're normally mounds uh, in Earth terms, right? Yeah, and on the left you can see it's you know they'll they'll make these faces, and when you look at the the faces, it's made up of uh, turrets and other things, and you know it's all this embedded art, and it's of course it's very ruined, it's very old, and it just looks like a bunch of crap right now. But this is this is all mm-hmm. art and beautiful, magnificent uh, construction. And, yeah, number fourteen is another one from Perseverance, and it's just a shot into the distance you can see uh make up your own mind how tall how tall is that uh strangely regular mound in the mid distance and there's there's ruins of buildings in the far distance which you have to blow it up a lot to see um but uh yeah, they, blue stones 
Yes, exactly, exactly. At number 15, speaking of blue stones, um, there is a roundish knob in the to the left to the left of center toward the top, and if one looks at that, especially on the blown up one, there's a it's clearly a face. It's a whole head, but that's just another example of the blue stones and stuff. Right opposite it, more interesting to some people that don't like looking for faces. I suspect there is a, there we go is um, some small mechanical stuff. There's a couple. Of, there's a bunch of rings that are embedded in the stone. Mm. And that's another thing we see on Mars a lot. So that might might be something to do with that manufactured stone that you're talking about. Well, look well, on, that's, on the left side of the picture, you have this big rocket. Look at all the white powder. That looks like monotomic powder that mm. we see. I see it all through Mars. All through, It's all over this picture. I think and, it's glass myself, but it's yeah, it's it's definitely you know something yeah. like that. It's very it's very reflective. Uh, you want to tell you want to tell the general audience the definition of monotonic because I have only heard that referenced in terms of monotonic gold, you know that was supposedly right. the yeah. <clears throat> magic yeah. elixir. But how does that apply to anything else? What is magic a monotonic elixir? What is, yeah. yeah what is a what is this kind of thing? And uh, it's unattached atoms and. You can better explanation How do you online do? if you look it up, and they're unattached. Uh, they're not actually gold because it's not attached to the gold molecule yet. It's it's free floating by itself, and it's like uh, it's not part of the high school clique. You're, you're outside of that, but that, and then you work this technology so that this atom does become then part of the gold. But then you can turn off this effect and make the monatomic element. Uh, separate from the gold again, and it, it's just uh, you know it's, it's hard. If it's not in, gold. What? It, yeah, well, if it's, it's not gold. What is it? Uh, it's it's a free floating element. It's it's not really anything because it's it's by itself. It's just a free floating independent uh, atom that's not really anything until you make it something. You know, I think of it as throwing a switch. They have this Martian technology, so. We haven't we haven't gotten there, and I, I can't quite explain it, but I, I have just a sense of how it's worked into their their can, technology in this rock. Can you buy a bottle of it? Yeah, you can get it online. Lots of places sell it, and they say you know it helps. What's it look like? What's the, kill you what's and, look? Yeah, I've heard all. I've heard. I'm not, and I'm yeah, not saying this disparaging. I've heard all of that, but I mean, what, is, it, is it how much? Uh, how much is it? What does it look like? Uh, again, I'd expensive? say Google it, and you'll see there's lots of websites, and you can look at the product. You can buy some and try it. Um, some people don't recommend it. Putting, you know, you're putting elements in your body. We don't know, but other places mm. swear by it that it's a, a healing uh, element. And um, yeah, you buy it and try some. Okay, one more. Uh, Sixteen is, uh, and Keith graciously managed to do a last minute upload of this because I, I had a faulty version of it for some reason that I noticed I had gotten up on there and that destroyed the whole purpose for it. Uh, what I was initially drawn to was what were obviously hieroglyphics and so forth on the uh, face of the um, bluff there. Um, and you can see if you blow it up, the one on the top uh, if you look up at the top of it, all of that, uh, all of those regular 
uh, slats there. It's exactly what they look like. They look like the slats in like a, gar- a garden shed roof or something. Yeah, and the uh, right side of this, and, again, as I said before, yeah. is, is a face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff is there. Uh, I'm just trying to be technical here. However, in the middle of that picture, if you look down below where blew it up, there's something that uh, that is very reminiscent of our friendly neighborhood doorway. You got see the white upright on the on the left side and the sharp angle. Mm-hmm. You know, this is for people that think that all these stuff this stuff are natural features, and I, I just don't think that would be there would be such natural features. And there's just a confluence of too many different details there. Yeah, I, it's um, glaringly obvious. It's painful to look at for me. That's why I don't really look at the Mars images, and I. And in fact, the, the doorway reminds me of the Utah Swell. I'm studying the uh, Arches National Park and Canyonlands, and there are doorways like that. And um, it's it's very strange because it's like a doorway leading to nowhere. So it makes me think that either it's a portal or there's some kind of technology that allows you, um, like this old Superman episode from the 50s where he walks into the door and he goes through it, you know, like he's a ghost and he comes out the other side. Um, yes, one of his fabulous extra powers that only appeared in the 50s version of the TV show. Yeah, uh, yeah the, uh, well, the, the, the ruins each site in the Southwest could be um, uh, the derivation of uh, part of Edgar Rice Burroughs' saga. Because remember, John Carter was escaping from some, I believe, Apaches that That's were right. at him for some reason or other, and yeah. he ran up a cliff, and it was, and it was, it, it turned out to not be the natural cave that it looked like from the outside. But as soon as you went inside, it was a little more, a little more rectilinear than that, and exactly. more reminiscent of this little doorway that we've been talking about tonight. Uh, and that and was a portal on Mars. Yeah. Yep. That's Pop. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I'm sure the astronauts will want to drop by this little hole and see where it takes them as soon as they get up there. Yeah, um, yeah that uh, well, that yeah, that kind of runs the gamut there. But uh, obviously they're um, open for further discussion. But the I, I'm sorry that the uh, Thompson pan isn't up here because uh, the um, well, and you'll see a lot of sculptural effects on the black and white ones, like images two and three and four. Uh, well, four has one of those turrets in the top picture. That was yeah. really relative to something uh, Richard was talking about last week, and I didn't know it would pop up again. Well, well, we gotta go to a, we've got a break coming up. So yes, um, we do. That worked out. Pre- that worked out pretty well. Okay. Yeah, nice job. Okay. Um, let's uh, let's go ahead and take a break. And you're listening to the other side of midnight with Richard C. Hoagland, and we will return after this short message. Yay. Thank you. 
www.thepyramidofmidnight.com. Join Richard C. Hoagland and an array of fascinating guests as we explore real-world topics and events through the lens of hyperdimensional physics. Join Club 19.5 to gain access to hundreds of archived shows. Only $9.95 per month. Listen in each Saturday and Sunday to the most compelling and thoughtful broadcasts heard in over 160 countries around the world. Real research. Real data. Real science. The other side of midnight.com. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to the other side of midnight. Uh, we're here with our enterprise mission imaging team, and we just heard from Ron Gibran and Andrew Curry. And next, I'd like to go to Robert Morningstar, who was another regular panelist on the show. And uh, again, just to remind new viewers how to get to uh, our images, you should go to the other side of midnight.com website. Click on tonight's banner that takes you to the show page and the show page has all of our images and everyone's bio. So you can read Robert Morningstar's very interesting biography there. And um, Robert, welcome back to the other side of midnight. Thank you, Jonathan. It's uh, great to be here. Uh, Such a momentous occasion. You know, we're finally releasing the real stuff. I just wanted to clarify something about monatomic. It means having just one atom in the molecule. And there's a distinction made, diatomic hydrogen and monatomic helium. So if you can separate a single atom of a particular element from an agglomeration of it, that's what uh, monatomic means. Uh, Regarding barrows, uh, yeah, they're mounds, earthworks, usually a little long. And covered, uh, sometimes covered with stones, but they usually house a, a body. They're burial, they're burial sites. I want to commend Andrew on his pronunciation of Jurong. 
That's uh, <laughs> that's the way you say it. When you see ZH in Chinese, uh, it's called romanization. When you, we write Chinese sounds in in uh, Western alphabet, it's called romanization. So when you see ZH, it's like a J. That's Zhuong. It was very good pronunciation. Andrew. Congratulations. He's, he's been taking lessons for about a year now. And it's great to hear all of you here. I'm really glad that Ron mentioned uh, the appearance of uh, charring and burning in some of the photographs, because I had the same impression. And I'm sorry he skipped over number seven so quickly, because when I looked at that, you know, it just confirms for me that Mars was once totally covered with water because those objects in his number seven remind me of seashells and uh, mollusks and things like that. So no, you're right. I skipped over. I was trying to stay on topic, but uh, I yeah. yeah number seven. You're walking. You're walking the bridge up. I just it's contemporary with this other stuff. Now, yeah. To give you, yeah. Uh, okay. Give credit. It's a very beautiful so composition. You got the uh, wide angle on the top, and then you did a close-up. And in that close-up, those those things, you know, the two things on the right look to me like they could be petrified seashells. And I'd like to make a comment on the regular striation that we see across the moraine. It's terrain on Earth and moraine on Mars. And the thing that it says to me is that those that structure was formed by sedimentation, meaning that over millions of years of time, all of these areas were once underwater, and the sediment layered and layered and layered and created those ridges. It's not it's not windblown stuff. No, uh, and Robert, if I could add, my feeling yeah. is that uh, these oceans and lakes and waterfalls on Mars, it's right out of Dune because every drop, their technology was so advanced, every drop of water was managed and channeled and directed. And I mean, not a drop is wasted. Right. It's really incredible. After the cataclysm, you know, whether it was uh, asteroid impact or uh, nuclear war, as uh, Dr. Brandenburg has discovered. And uh, again, back uh, to Ron here, number eight, I think that's the one that shows charring and uh, burning. The other thing is a lot of these photographs that Ron has, like the like that uh, the bluff or the mound, a lot of it still looks kind of wet to me, to my eye. It looks like there's still a lot of moisture on the planet and you know i suspect that i've seen so many clouds over mars that i suspect there might be still rain in the i think it's a pottery glaze yeah pottery broken shattered pottery that's what it that was my impression so of uh, your number eight that well it would go along with number eight well number eight is that strange stuff that uh, it was in i don't have a picture myself of that Kind of that most recent one of a couple things sticking up out of the ground that people, uh, Richard says they're wires and somebody else says they're a plant. And, you well, know, yeah, they, I thought uh, they were cables. Yeah, that, uh, I thought so. Right. Yeah, this is some more of that stuff from a much or, earlier solid. It happened to be extremely high resolution because it's, it's actually, that's not one picture. That's like a panorama from like eight, or a mosaic from like eight images. So it's, uh, but yeah, it's the same, whatever it is, it's the same stuff. 
sorry to well, sorry to step hard. on your thing there, but yeah, no. but well, thank you. Is that yes, uh, yours too. The uh, yeah, I'm I'm open to comments on number seven though, which is the uh, it looks like one coral, with, coral and uh, number coral, seven. Yes, coral and yes. Uh, seashells and uh, but number well, eight has right angled corners in mm-hmm. the upper left hand corner top of the picture. There are left 90 degree angle corners. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was something artificial. I don't know what it was, but it was artificial because nature yeah, doesn't make like angles. Perhaps walls or bul- bulwarks that uh, burn down. And you know, if, if Dr. Brandenburg is right, and I do believe he's right, there is evidence of a global Martian nuclear cataclysm uh, with the Xenon 29 all, all over the place. So, and uh, let me throw out there that. NASA did their own version of Mars. They did a map of Mars of how it looked when it had oceans, and it's a beautiful, lush planet. Yes, indeed. Now, imagine if, they, if it was an asteroid impact, which I believe uh, we found evidence, I believe that the Hellas Basin was an oblique uh, shot of an asteroid that hit it and, and gouged it out and then went on as a, a, a grazing shot. But Solus Locus was a direct impact, and uh, the impact in Solus Locus cracked the planet, created the Valles Marineris yep. going east to west, and created the, uh, the Tarsus Bollinger, the Tarsus Highlands going north to south. So it, it, it suffered a tremendous cataclysm. The interesting thing is I, I saw Mars in 2003 through a very high-quality telescope, and it come to the closest point to the Earth in 60,000 years. And, you know, I had an eyeball-to-eyeball encounter with Mars, and I saw the eye of Mars, which is this area, Solus Locus, which is so deep that the sunlight doesn't get down to the bottom of it until very late in the morning. So I, I was seeing it in the morning, and it looked like a giant eyeball looking, staring back at me with a black tear coming down out of the pupil kind of like Alice Cooper's eye. And I knew NASA was lying. They say that that thing is only four kilometers deep. And they can take a hike just <laughs> on those. <laughs> the other thing that they do with Solus Locus is that they'll show you photographs of Solus Locus when it is completely filled in with a fog. I imagine uh, the same kind of fog that fills in Hellas Basin. And so it makes it look really flat. But when you see it without fog or weather, and there's a lot of weather on Mars as we're now starting to see in the most recent photographs, uh, it is incredibly deep, incredibly deep. So let me go to my pictures now. Cool. And I'll talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Of course, you know, yes. when, uh, when NASA said that door was only one foot high, uh, again, that's my... A courteous expression is take a hike. So, <laughs> you know, a little one foot Martian. Okay. All right. Let's imagine this little guy, our, our favorite Martian friend, Marvin the Martian from the Looney Tunes. And if Andrew could uh, just cut that little guy out and superimpose him over the door, I think we'd have a, a lot of fun. We'd have a lot of fun. We'd have a lot of fun with NASA. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Robert, you're making me very, very angry. Yeah. You make me very angry when you do that. I'm going to have to disintegrate you with my modulator demodulator. (laughs) 
Well, this little guy has actually appeared to me in, in dreams many, many, many years ago. Uh, I had him appear in my dream to warn me about something bad that was going to happen to me. How old were you? Oh, let me see. I I was about uh, 48 years old. Oh, oh, not a boy. I have him on a a t-shirt, which I wear to this very day. Yeah, Um, well, that's that's for NASA's benefit, and I I, I sense a little humor. So uh, if Andrew or any one of you can just take him out of the um, the Looney Tunes uh, concentric circles and put him in the doorway. I think that would be a beautiful group. That's funny. NASA. So I did this uh, Martian portal, a whole series of them. I got them from the Jigapan. So uh, the wide view is there. And um, I want to commend David Serrato. He did a wonderful thing. Yes, I was med- just thinking of him. Yep. Yep. Well, we're all telepathic and we are, we're all on the same wavelength. So it's not surprising, but David Serrata did measurements of the door, and he found that the the uh, width to the height of the door is 1 to 1.618, which is the golden mean, which again says this is not done by chance or uh, earthquake. The, um, it's a very beautiful sight, and all of us had a natural human reaction to the sight of it. And uh, the, the goofy, uh, the Dr. Gupta, this is one of the NASA fucking uh, heads trying to tell us that this oh. was a typical crack on Mars, a product of earthquakes. You know, again, <clears throat> my favorite expression, take a hike. In number two, I got closer to it and I started to work on the lighting and the contrast and to reveal inside there is this mark on the wall, which looks remarkably like Marvin's head. It does. Right? It does look like Marvin's head Mm -hmm. uh, without the helmet. And something else starts to emerge, that crack that goes down from the entrance is down almost diagonally. It makes a contour. And the contour of of something that is not evident, really, until we get a little bit closer, which is in number three. But sadly... When I click number three, it doesn't enlarge. It goes to save because this could be saved on my um, in my hard drive. So I welcome you to click that and save it and then blow it up so that you can see that the way I cropped it makes that contour that I described before, it almost looks like a hawk. There's an eye and a beak in the upper left-hand corner, then a contour of a round bird's head, and then the contour of the crack goes up a little bit and then down. Yeah. It's like the silhouette of a wind. I see that. You know, right? Yep. So, so it's remarkable to me that we find so many quasi-Egyptian motifs all over Mars. And I'm going to show you some more as, yep. we, as we go down the line. Now, I want to thank Gary Legere for this fifth picture, which is a picture of the right side of the wall. And again, I think the combination of these two pictures proves that this is artificial. Because look at the smoothness of the left side of the wall in the two pictures that we've looked at. Here's another thing, Robert. Um, My item number, uh, let me go back to my items. I think it's, you know, the big turret. Um, Yes. So... If listeners have the gigapan of this mount open and you 
go look at this uh, turret of mine. It's on the, the right side of page. Okay, let me go to my... Uh, yeah, my, my item number two, this turret, to the left of that turret, you will see this large opening. It's like the door, but it's much larger. And you can see the right side of the entrance. And guess what? It looks exactly like Gary Legere's image. Yeah. This lattice work. Exactly. Yeah, the lattice work. That's the point I was going to make about the differences between the right side of the door and the left side of the door. Yep. The left side of the door, as we look at it, is perfectly smoothed out, almost as if uh, plaster and, and uh, polish. And then when we look at the uh, right side of the door, after apparently the rover marched on, took another shot of it, mm-hmm. uh, we find that it uh, looks almost egg crate corrugated. That one does blow up. So I enhanced the photograph. It was, it was very, very dark. So look at and, that. Look at that wall. Oh, my God. And your, then, number, your, your number five was very dark? Well, the original one that I got, Yes, number five yeah. was very dark. So I improved the gamma, the contrast, the brightness, sharpness, got rid of noise, and brought out the uh, the actual shape of the of shapes. Egg crate. I call it egg crate. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. And um, let me draw your attention to you have the doorway, and then in front of the doorway, you have uh, you're coming up toward the doorway to enter the doorway right before the entrance you know the ground is sloped a bit yes. and then right mm-hmm. in the center of this light colored area you see the eye of horus or yes. whatever that is right yeah. there exactly right there. Yep. and again mm-hmm. again we keep, we keep coming across scenes that remind us of egypt uh, andrew's drawing uh with uh, tim saunders uh, insight at the entrance of king tut in By the way, I have found entrances like this in uh, photos of the moon that were taken prior to the Apollo uh, landings. Of course, lunar orbiters one through four really, uh, you know, map the whole planet. And I found entrances in the moon that look uh, like the one to uh, King Tut's tomb. And some of them hmm. are good to be able to look inside them and in the shadowed areas. Now, Robert, I have to I have I have to go on the record and ask what's the uh, why is there no image number for uh, that one that you got from Gary? Uh, supposedly the supposedly a different view of the image. Well, I don't uh, know. Gary sent me the picture. He found it and um, didn't put. Yeah, I think it's a fake. I'm just going on record. I, I mean, uh, everybody. I, I disagree with you. So we'll go okay. on. It's not a fake. Yes. Why, who would fake it, and why would Gary fake it? So, uh, I well, think I'm not saying Gary did it, and I'm I certainly not saying you did. Yeah, I think, I think no. it's real. Well, you brought it up, and I think yeah. it's uh, farcical. Next, this is, I think, a really great discovery. Now, Andrew Number and six. I were very closely together, and Andrew sent me two panoramic photos, and one of them, Jonathan, you had an insight. You said it looked like a sphinx or a dragon, right? It comes from that that wide-angle photograph. So when I looked at it and got in close, I found this area that I have dubbed the Mars City, Roads and Bridges, and where X marks the spot, it corresponds with that X, crossroads. And I found there are 
highways, byways, and bridges in this uh, section here, almost as if we were looking at a close-up of some of the freeways <clears throat> that <clears throat> move all over California. And you see, when you see the X in the center, just follow the, the right side of the crook of the X, and you find a road that over that crosses at a right angle to another road that undulates across the landscape and leads on across to a shelf. And then yep. lower down, you have another, I'll call it a highway, uh, with almost a bridge structure. It's got legs. If you look at the left, uh, the left leg of the X and follow it down where that X is pointing, you'll intersect another roadbed, as I will call it. And then it looks like it has supports and an undersection, kind of like that highway in Texas where all the migrants were hiding under the highway. So I, th I think this is a, a pretty spectacular photograph. I, I think this so is fairly common, at least in the early days of the, the images from Mars, I saw a lot of this kind of thing, mm -hmm. where these pathways and, yeah. Right, that's right. So that's why I dubbed this Mars, Mars City. And then <clears throat> moving on, in, in the other uh, photograph, uh, also the panoramic that, that, that Jonathan was talking seven. about. Yeah, number seven, this is an area that I would say to the northwest of the ridge. And that giant mound in the center really struck my eye. So when I went into it, I could see that that giant mound is in the center of a quadrangle. Everything else is kind of clean and smooth, desert-like. So I put an A, B, C, D um, notation on what I see as the corners of a plane. And that's why I dubbed it Giza Plane on Mars. And interestingly, it looks to me like a, a huge mass, perhaps a collapsed pyramid. And something to the right there I dubbed it Sphinx because it does look like the silhouette of something sitting there with its arms out and stretched. Hmm. And then um, I did a very large section of it, uh, real close up in number eight, where so we can really get much closer. And I'm really proud of this, and I was able again to work with gamma contrast sharpness and uh, noise reduction to bring out more of the details of that mass in the center. And it. Uh, does look quasi triangular, you know. So I thought it's so massive, but it reminded me of Giza. So I did the collapse pyramid and sinks. How big is it? I don't see any. I'm looking for context here. You just uh, well, we'd have to look at the picture. I, I thought that Andrew was going to uh, post the, the wide panoramics, but it is quite uh, huge. It is far beyond the ridge. The where the Mars city is. So it is massive and uh, huge in size. It's yeah, stuck out, as you say, like a sore thumb off the surface of the red planet. Curiosity? Or, no, yeah. these, uh, these look like um, Perseverance helicopter photographs. They're taken from altitude. Mm, yeah. Well, let's ask Andrew. I think... Andrew may have gotten them from Keith Lane. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, is, it is right? Gale Crater. Sorry, guys. Okay. It, Gale Crater. It is Gale Crater, yeah. Yeah, and it was a gigapan by Keith Laney. Um, it's a big, wide one. And uh, Robert's done as he's focused in on certain areas, and it 
it's very plausible what he's saying because this thing is monstrous, right? And it's right, right in front of Gale, yeah. Yeah. So then it must have been uh, taken by one of the, our satellites. Uh, I think no. Too much of an angle. Yeah, it, it is from the Curiosity rover, but it's looking, you know, with a big wide angle, um, right up at the, I guess at the the hem hemming the hem of of the uh, well, they say what it's a volcano in the mm-hmm. middle, but I think it's a giant arcology. So it's so uh, the angle indicates that Curiosity got way way up to, at altitude to be able to take a yeah photograph. Well, it was Robert because it, it was crawling up like it's on some sort of pathway up the upgale crater up up the hill mm-hmm. um so it's it's taken the route up that way so you are right you're exactly correct mm-hmm. yeah well it's my pilot's eye you know I, yep. I looked at the uh the perspective and it looked like a pretty high altitude glancing down that's why i mistook mistook it for a helicopter picture but uh again it's a massive thing Maybe we can find a way of uh, posting those two panoramics uh, later on. We can, we can send them to to Keith. Perhaps he can mount them. So yeah, I'll do that, Robert. More greater, better perspective. And then, oh my goodness, two items of uh, news newsworthy items. Gee, NASA is joining the hunt for unidentified aerial phenomena, you know, UAPs, which I say the right pronunciation of it is a joke. It's UAPs. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> UAPs. Give me a break. It's a UFOs, and I'm not giving up the term. They think they're going to uh, regain their dignity by changing, changing the nomenclature and the jargon. So, again, forget about it. The UFOs. And then the other one is this really interesting thing. Richard is fond of saying no single point uh, failure. Uh, Mars helicopter ingenuity has a dead sensor that the team... Grabbing a metric sensor. Yeah, keeps keep it flying. So that's, uh, that's great news because uh, I really have been enjoying uh, Perseverance. We've discovered so many things, including that uh, flying wing remnant in front of the bunker. So, well, that's it. That's it uh, for me. You know, we can engage in a discussion. Uh, yes, uh, we have a break hey, coming up, and I yep. want to. Perfect. I was just looking for the image I did of uh, the annotation of the the Sphinx of this that you were talking about, Rob. I can't find it. So, if anybody has that picture from Keith Laney, yeah, that's um, the one. You, you I'd like to post that. Right side. You were looking at the far right side. The right and side, and it's clearly. Yeah, you had intuition, and, and I think you, your mind was picking up this little thing way far back. So we're on the same wavelength again. We're finding similar correlations. See, it's my belief, you have one minute. It's my belief that the original Egyptian gods that came to Earth were really from Mars. They were the Martian remnant, the yeah. survivors. And uh, we started their civilization there, and they terraformed Giza as a monument. Uh, to their home planet and the disasters that were there. So the monuments of Mars transposed to Earth are in Giza. And Earth is two point, Mars 2.0. Yeah, exactly. We can talk about that when we come back uh, in, in, for the next half hour. We can talk about the mythology and some of the things that I believe points out uh, 
what the sonic underground gods were from Mars and why they had to be underground. Yes, and I'm going to bring in Ruggiero as well. So uh, get ready, Ruggiero. And uh, it's 1.28. Why don't we go ahead and take a, a little early break, Keith, and then uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off. of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Holdwin and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Search the archives. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Thank you. 
some place that I could understand. I was home. Welcome back to the other side of midnight. Uh, Richard is going to be on Coast to Coast AM this Thursday night, June 16th. So I invite everybody to listen in. I'm sure that will be an interesting show. And as for tonight, uh, Richard was going to crash out for a few hours on the couch and then try getting up. And if he feels better, he's going to join us at the top of the next hour in about 30 minutes. So um, right now uh, I'd like to invite Rogero into the Rogero Kalo into the conversation. And he's another regular guest on the show. And Rogero, are you there? Um, I am here. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, everyone. Morning. How's the weather in London? Um, I'm actually about an hour and a bit from London uh, on the south coast and we've got uh, beautiful um, blue skies morning here in, uh, in Dorset where I am. Oh, yeah. So it's nice to see uh, uh, 50 days of weather. Is, uh, good weather. England is notoriously uh, changeable you know, for weather. Yes, that's well, the land of the, uh, the Pirates of Penzance. Is that right? It's a little bit further west. A little bit further west, but we're, you know, okay. about a three-hour drive in a car from there. But we're on the same uh, uh, longitude. And you know, I've been I've been meaning to ask Maria. I'll ask you. I I watch this show often. It's called Escape to the Country, and it's filmed in your area. And it's these people from the city. They're going to look to buy a house in the country, and they have all these beautiful country homes. I love that show. It's just the homes are so the architecture and everything and the thatched roofs and, and uh, it's such a cool area, I think. And I think you're very lucky to live in that part of the world. Oh, for sure. You know, it's like one of the things for anybody who visits the UK is, is our sense of history that we have, you know, we've got a, a good 2000 years worth. Um, and in our, in our towns and cities, we do a good job of preserving uh, a lot of our history, uh, particularly our architecture. So it's, it's always nice and when you're driving through like some of the Cornish uh, villages or Dorset villages and you've got all, all these little quaint, quaint architecture structures. Um, you've got all the stuff like Stonehenge and our um, stone circles for people who are into that. It's just a wealth of it. And where I live, you know, like last night, I was windsurfing on my own um, in, uh, in Port Harbour. I had the sunset to myself. I was just thinking, you know, how quite blessed I am to uh, to be in such a delightful area. That's very cool. Yeah, I was chatting with uh, a chap. He's from Ireland, but he lives in England now. Uh, he works with Maria and helps her out and so forth. But he was saying up uh, along the northwest coast is kind of the this beautiful area. It's like the, uh, what did he call it? The Las Vegas of England. Um, I'm trying oh, to remember. Blackpool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've not been to Blackpool, it's, it's near Liverpool, I've been there. Um, I, w- I don't know if Blackpool is uh, is cultural, <laughs> cultural centre of the UK. It's, it's certainly popular with uh, what we call hen nights and, and stag nights. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they compare it because of all the gambling that goes on. Um, and with, uh, with where I live, I, I share a, a, a history with Tim, Timothy. He actually, oh. 
grew up not too far from um, from where I'm living at the moment. I think he's from Salisbury, and uh, he used to windsurf up at Paul Harbour as well. So if he ever comes back to the UK, I said, you know, there's a few, I've got some spare boards, Tim. You can come and um, have, have a sail with me. <laughs> Boy, it's a small world, isn't it? it? Remarkably, yeah. You know, we share the same area, so uh, it's great. It's great. Now, what would you like to add to the conversation? What do you make of uh, what we've been discussing and the various images that we've been going through? Well, Richard contacted me um, earlier this week and um, put an email out to everybody and said, hey, look at this. Would, uh, would anybody like to draw it? So um, I'm talking about the Martian, uh, the alleged Martian doorway. And I said, oh, okay, I'll draw it if, um, if Andrew's going to draw one. <laughs> so we can kind of like, you know, do a do a little comparison. He, he, was, he was like, oh, absolutely. How quickly can you do it? So I, I got my pen out and, and some pencils and I just did a kind of like an overlay style sketch. It took me about an hour uh, due to the short period of time. I wanted to do a second one, a bit like what Andrew did with pastels. But is this item number one? That's So what my item number one is, you know, I, I like to try and be, rather than vague, sometimes it can be really hard for people to pick out uh, well, what we label pareidolia eventually, you know, where we think we're seeing something, you know, are we or are we not? It can be um, very subjective to, to the viewer as to, you know, whether we're seeing something for real from a scientific perspective or whether it's our minds, um, you know, playing with, with an image. And, and both are fair and valid, you know, because that, that's what exploration science and exploration is about. But my, my images, I, I generally like to keep uh, very detailed, you know, quite specific, um, because it's, otherwise it's very easy for you to pull holes in, in what's going on. So image one is me taking a photograph of my laptop with uh, the, the, the entrance to what looks like the doorway, or we call it the doorway, and then my direct comparison of me, uh, of my sketch, which I put onto my, my keyboard. So. I was just wondering if anyone would like to make a comment about those two features or what they see. Well, you're a good artist. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think much of it, but uh, yeah. Um, what, what I was uh, firstly intrigued by when I look at my images, if you go to image two, because it's a little bit sharper, I'd actually send, sent Richard an edited version, but you can see how he's still got the feature of my laptop. That's, that's irrelevant on the base. With the with image number two, my sketch, the first thing that came up to me was the level of um, angulation within the structure. Um, and on the outside surface, there's these um, sort of varying uh, degrees of uh, diagonal lines on the external surface of the of the structure, and that that kind of uh, drew drew me in. Those, those image features draw your eye to the structure when you look at the original um, original photograph. Can you see those, Jonathan? Yes, and I, I noticed uh, what I called a canopy, you've called a lintel overhang, and the lintel stones are the ones that you find in Stonehenge that are on top of the, the sarsen stones, and um, that's an interesting take on that. I've, I've been asking Richard to try and get Brian Forrester on the show for ages. Yes. Brian, yes. Such a wealth of fantastic 
study into into the subject of um, ancient history, um, the, what he calls the pre-dynastic. That's all he's interested in. Um, so he's looking at the megaliths, uh, megalithic culture, if you want to call it that, from a, around the world. So I've studied his stuff in a lot of detail. I love his work. I think it's brilliant. And um, when he's particularly on the Giza Plateau, you'll notice um, lintel-type arrangements on top of um, doorways, if you wish to call it that. Mm. And this feature, I wasn't expecting to see anything when I first um, looked at this image. In fact, I just wanted to tear it apart. I was like, no, it's just a hole. And I was close. I was like, wow, it's really difficult to do that because there's so much angulation on it. You know, um, I like to be my biggest skeptic. <laughs> you know, I, I, when, I, when I'm looking at um, any imagery and, and with this, I'm really struggling. And yeah, so on the top of the feature is, is the lintel that, that comes out in an arc. And then it's got, um, it's got vertical lines coming. It's about three or four of them uh, going through the structure. Um, and so the, just the outside of the structure was, was, uh, is what struck me, uh, looking yeah. like it's designed, right? Yep. You also, then I'll, I'll move on to the... Um, well, the little overhang, too, I find that it has sculpting, like you would see if you went to an entrance uh, to you know, any bank or something, it would have some right. kind of writing or glyphs. or I mean, there's, there's stuff on the lintel that is carved yeah it's def definitely it's, it's certainly interesting it's like one two three i spot about four four lines the next thing that intrigued me was um call it those sort of i don't know how to explain this the triangular wall can you see what i mean so now, now we're going into the we're still on the outside but we've got the drop off does that make sense uh, are we looking at um, the? Well, there's, a, there's a slope outside the wall. There's a, yep. a diagonal slope, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it reminds me, in a way, of the finishings you'd see around Petra. This is very sort of like a. Oh, in Jordan. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm assuming this is a fairly hard stone, and um, it looks like it's been cut off with a saw. Yeah, like someone's just cut straight through the rock, and then we get to the entrance. Um, now, when you go into the structure, uh, the better image is on, on I think, um, Robert's number five is is a really good entrance uh, for a picture. But when you go in, into the, uh, the doorway, it looks like again it's been it's been fashioned. Um, perhaps tool marking now that tool marking I think I'm seeing I don't know if that is uh, the pixelation in the photograph or whether that is is for real or appears for real yeah I would agree or not. Um, the drawing I did was before I got the gig of hands so Richard had sent me over the photograph I did my drawing and then the gig had come up Igapan came out, which is much clearer. Uh, so everything I thought I was seeing, I pretty much 
was seeing. Um, I'd like to come back to Andrew's picture. I think what I, what I love about Andrew's drawing, because he's he's an illustrator, is he he brings out sometimes a beautiful, almost cartoonish appearance, which I'm just not capable of doing. My stuff's very linear. Is this the pastel that, that Andrew did, number two? Oh, it's lovely. He's uh, you know he does some really really amazing work. And I said to Richard, for God's sake, whatever you do, don't show my image. <laughs> Andrew, let him do his his work untapped um, and again he's brought out uh, exactly what I'm seeing just different his styles just a little different and uh, he's you know you look at his uh, the lintel is clear with the three lines on it he's got the on the external surface of the, uh, the feature he's got the um, angular lines mm-hmm. the right angle lines that, that point towards the entrance um, and um, I'd like I'd like to see him do more work on on this. Now we've got a, a clearer image. And his pastel, almost on the right side of his pastel, you can see also what Keith Morgan um, pointed out in his images that remind him of a um, a shark and a seal. I believe it was. Interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting that one. You know, in a nutshell, that's uh, my first photo uh, there. What I also did is I asked Keith to put up um, two more imagery, imagery in my uh, in my links, and one of them was from a long time ago. What I forwarded to Richard, and it was um, some pipe work. We started. It's so real looking, it doesn't look real. It's like it's been photoshopped in. And I think that's my image number four. Uh, again, that's to highlight uh, the specificities. If that's the number three, I, I believe it is. Yeah. Okay. Item three, tubing. Uh, tubing, yeah. So if you look in there, I've got the original sole, um, which I'll have to forward for another time or I'll ask Keith to put in later. But there's free clear which i've annotated tubing features coming out of the rock can you see that jonathan or anyone else i do see that yeah it makes me think of <clears throat> how i was saying they manage every drop of water and in the the bottom right qu- uh, quadrant of this i notice a very white bright uh glyph okay you know you see what i'm talking about it looks i'm not sure it's kind of abstract but i'm sure it was back in the day when it was pristine this uh meant something this this large white bright white um whatever that is that that is a symbol some some writing or something that means something i does that strike you as anything uh mr morningstar with your you i do you um do you do the Chinese calligraphy? Are you familiar with their? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So, look- uh, which picture are you referring to? This is Ruggiero's item number three. Yes. And it would be the bottom right quadrant of that tubing image. It's a bright white conglomeration of, I think, a few letters or yeah there are lines there that are reminiscent of certain chinese characters one that stands out is the the far right just a little bit above the corner there are 
three horizontal lines, actually one with a cross, a cross and, and a, a bottom stem. <clears throat> that is the uh, Chinese character for terra firma or dirt, earth. And uh, yes, there are certain uh, similarities uh, to ancient Chinese, which was not as quadrangular as, as modern Chinese, indeed. Yeah, and I've been looking at various symbols and languages to compare with the Utah Swell and Arches Park and so forth. And this area of bright white symbols or whatever, the bottom part of it, there's a, a section that kind of looks like a number three, for lack of a better description. Uh, but it just reminds me of a symbol I've seen in, in Arabic. So that's why I say this if you spoke, if we had deciphered their language, which we should have done this long ago, we should have, uh, you know, the linguist should have been all over this, the Martian languages, and we would be able to read all these things that we're looking at. And it would say very clearly, like, oh, this is the home of Joe the plumber or <laughs> whatever it is. So this is saying something. But Jonathan, we were... Looking at some of the images, and Ron can come can come in on the, on this. So when I look at one Ron Dyson with the really small hole, to me that just looks um, very natural, like a natural feature. I'm not that's not jumping at me, uh, and and I'm like just a hole in the floor. But when which one? Uh, which one? Which one do you mean? Uh, it, Right, your, your images, Ron. So this is a comparison. Uh, You're talking about number 11. 11, yeah. Mouse hole, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. okay, yeah. All right, just, sorry. Like, I would agree. I, I lost a couple I lost a couple minutes. I had a small domestic emergency. <laughs> so that looks very natural and um, no point of concern scientifically whatsoever and to my view and I like that because then when you compare the you know the doorway feature it looks very very engineered and I, I've asked a few people including my parents who are uh, no good at this stuff whatsoever right I just said hey I'm gonna open my laptop what do you think of this and they both went oh, it's a door I mean really you sure what else is it? Oh, no, look, it's a door. You can see someone shaped it, etc. And they, they started uh, going on about, uh, you know, the structure. And um, I'd love to know, you know, get an engineer's take on, you know, what I would uh, think of uh, this structure because it's so precise. That's what, that's my point. And my point I make is when we look at Ron's image number 11, it's very natural looking, right? There's, yeah. there's nothing, nothing much to it. When you look at the door, it's completely angled, you know, it's yep. very built. So oh, absolutely. Very, very unnatural. I wanted oh. to make a comment on Ron's number nine, which I think is one of the most unusual and most unnatural things I've ever seen on planet Mars. The top Thank section, you. the top <laughs> section actually, you know what it reminds me of? Stacks of books stone books, but it really is a, a very unnatural uh, formation of objects. Um, 
and it's also kind of uh, kind of unique. I haven't found anything else that's exactly like that on Mars either. So that's they, what it I mean. Seems like that's what I mean. It's yeah, unique find. It's very yeah. Anger Watt. You know, like in Andrew's uh, comparisons, he has Anger Watt, and it, it looks very much like that to me. The, uh, there's some there's some very um, artificial stuff elsewhere in that picture. If you saw the the larger panorama, if it ever comes up again, I could post the uh, post the entire panorama, which is about you know five or six times that wide. Uh, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff in that ridge. That was uh, they've they've hit just a handful of really hot spots in all their rover roving uh and the uh the ridge that they were around the uh, sol 710 and 712 uh is one of them uh and the uh stuff around 538 is another one we don't have any of those here but that's that's uh yeah it's not everywhere you know they don't have big statues everywhere that we look on Mars, but there's evidence that people were there tinkering with the landscape or building buildings that have fallen down. So it's, you know, you, you pick out the flashy stuff because that is easier to convince people with, you know, and that's when it's obviously artificial, it's obviously artificial. Uh, people shouldn't be shy about uh, accepting that. I, I have a general... For, for NASA to explain this away as erosion and these kind of things, that just seems ridiculous to me. That's a topic I'd love to hear everybody talk about is why are they lying? Uh, the Brookings report and all that nonsense. Well, the Brookings report was kind of a setup. They were, they were presenting a narrative. They were in or introducing a narrative. I don't, I, I, it's not hard to find the Brookings report and it's not that long and you read it, but it's not a, um, uh, the way that they lay that out, they're laying out a narrative that they're going to then stick to. So there had to be a reason behind it. I mean, it doesn't read like an explanation. I'm, ex I'm explaining the explanation badly, but it's, it does not uh, seem to me like the Brookings report is explaining anything. It's, uh, it's not a, an analysis of careful thought, about stuff that they had already considered. It's just a generalized uh, indication that they don't want to talk about it. Well, one of our colleagues emailed earlier today that um, it's because NASA, they're looking for funding and they, they uncover just enough to get more money. They're not really interested in disclosure. They're interested in funding. Uh, I'm sure that's true. But you know, you can go all the way back to the uh, biography of, uh, well, it was autobiography, but it was written mostly under the careful tutelage of his um, um, uh, official handler. And I'm talking about Werner von Braun. Mm. You know, he wrote a book about going to Mars, which people have referenced before, and the references to Musk and everything else. But the, um, uh, yeah, one of the things he says, and, and it was part of one of his lectures, and so his handler couldn't pick it out of there. He quoted this, you know, a, the transcript of one of the lectures that uh, Von Brown gave, probably several. And he said uh, to be sure that they put the uh, archaeologists on the first ship. Mm, yeah. So he was, he was, he was saying that way back then. So, I mean, it's like, you know, the Nazis weren't, that weren't bothered by the idea that there were ruins on Mars. The, uh, <laughs> uh, 
and most of human history, people weren't bothered by the fact that there were beings, probably people, elsewhere. There were even occasional accounts of what seemed like uh, run-ins. Well, I was very much against uh, Elon going to Mars at first because I didn't think he grasped the significance of it. Because in my mind, that's exactly right. The archaeologists should be going there because this is the most sacred planet in our in our solar system right now. We need to go there, preserve everything, reconstruct all the uh, the damage and everything falling down. This kind of thing. We can use photogrammetry to to reconstruct. Uh, what they used to look like, and you know, they would tread over this with just a, a sacred attitude. And it seemed to me like Elon is going there; just uh, he wants to open a McDonald's. But now I'm thinking Elon's more aware than I at first thought, and that he will go there with a sense of reverence, and he understands what's there. And so I, I've changed my uh, my attitude toward Elon a bit. I, I agree. I have- yeah, I had some of the same misgivings that uh, uh, you expressed there, and I came to the same conclusion. Yeah, no, he's just being careful. He knows what he can talk about and what he can't talk about, you know, because yes. it's, it's uh, like probably most of the people listening uh, heard at least some of that um, one of that one interview with um, Joe Rogan that Musk did where the one, you know, the one that Richard likes because he held up a copy of uh, – uh, Rogan held up a copy of Richard's book, and they talked about that a little bit. And all of a sudden, uh, Musk got you know a little bit dismissive, and he's saying, "Well, I don't think there's any aliens in the in this solar system, but when we get to other solar systems, you know, then we'll find." And I'm thinking, "Well, that's absurd! What a ridiculous yeah. thing to say!" Yeah, yeah, I think he's he's yeah he knows he knows, but he's he can't say he doesn't want to say ahead of time. Boy, I'm going to blow the lid off of this whole thing. You know, yes. that's, uh, so it's like I said, you know, why are they going to this much trouble to lie about it? And then they get to this stuff with the uh, measurements, which drives me crazy, drives they're Richard misleading. crazy, too, but for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, they're intentionally misleading everybody. And you go, well, they don't have to do that all the time. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can put up with the occasional official picture where they have something on the uh, upper left or anywhere else on the picture that isn't the thing that they're pointing you to, uh, that is, you know, there be something that looks like a children's toy or a car part or so, and they just ignore it. And they say, oh, but the stratification in these rocks over here, this just indicates blah, 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 blah. And you read 15, you read 15 or 16 okay, well, of those. We're into the top of the hour, so we're going to have to take a break here. Oh. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight with Richard C. Hoagland. We will be back right after this short message. Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, 
and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19 Point Archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. And welcome back to the other side of midnight with Richard C. Hoagland. Uh, Keith, if you could maybe give Richard a, a try in a few minutes, give him a call on Skype and see if he's feeling better. Uh, he should be awake by now. Um, so this next half hour, uh, I'd like to go back to Andrew and bring him into the conversation. And just um, anybody that wants to add any commentary to what we've been talking about um, you know, just a free-for-all panel is, is what I'm looking for for this next half hour. And then I'm guessing Richard's probably going to come in for a few minutes. Hopefully he's feeling better. So, Andrew, are, are you there? I am, yes. Now, what do you have to say about uh, you've been quiet for a while and you, surely you have some thoughts to add? And Yeah, well, um, you know, one of the things – okay, there's a couple things here. It's something that uh, Ron. When you guys were talking about the uh, Brookings report and you know what, I don't know if Ron said it. Ron, did you say it like this? That what what do they know, or does somebody know? What did you say? You said something along the lines of, "I said, why are they lying? Why are they lying? Why are they lying? okay?" So you immediately made me think of a book that um, Richard contributed to. I believe it was. To, let me just flip the page here because this is what I was just looking at when you guys were just chatting. Uh, I think it was 2015. Yes, it's called Pluto, New Horizons for a Lost Horizon, Astronomy, Astrology, oh. and Mythology. Oh, is that is that Richard now? Yeah. You got me. <laughs> hey, Richard. Well, I, I, Hi, I Richard. Wanted... Hi, guys. Hey, Richard. 
I'm sorry to have to kind of join you in this weird way, but uh, New Mexico isn't quite the land of enchantment tonight. So um, anyway, there's other places that are more enchanting. Uh, What have I missed? Can you kind of tell me, summarize what your consensus is? Are we dealing with a door or not? So I would say the consensus is that we are dealing with some sort of door entranceway. Okay. Well put. And what's your take, Richard? Well, obviously, up until uh, you know last night, I was really looking at this seriously. The thing I think is important to remember is the context. When we look at these images, these mosaics, which Curiosity and Percy have been doing now for years, the NASA model is we're looking at a barren, dead, dry, rocky landscape with the wisp of CO2, you know, frozen carbon dioxide, you know, ice crystals falling from the sky and a place where at best there could have been only bacteria, if that, and then it's really totally dead for billions of years. The problem with that model is when you look at the images, the data, it's totally wrong. Did you guys get to my one of my favorites tonight, which is the satellite dish? The satellite well, we dish. Have, we have not got to that. We were waiting for you. So if oh, you want to okay. go to your items, that would be cool. Yeah, let's 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 start in reverse. Let's go to item. I think it's thirteen. Okay. Item Excellent. Three. Scroll, scroll, scroll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at everything on my phone, so everything's just finger, finger, finger. Um, yes, number 13, Curiosity Ancient Martian Satellite Dish, Thompson Enhanced. Make it, make it. Uh, by the way, I, I, I want to say a really interesting um, uh, compliment to two people that are not with us tonight. One is Neville Thompson, because he has created the most amazing real mosaic best resolution, best lighting, best coloring, best everything of any of the citizen scientists outside of the agency. And because of the value of his work and the quality he put into it, all the astonishing stuff that people just fantasize as being on Mars, just look at that mosaic. It's there. So this he is, did a beautiful job. This is a close-up taken by the mass cam. Um, of the top of the ridge of the so-called hill that we're at the base of looking up. And that object, center screen, take a look at it. What is, you know, look very carefully. In any order, what do you think it is? My vote is you already know what I think it is. And, and, And tell me why you think it's what I think it is or not. Well, it does resemble a dish. It has curvature. Uh, It's got radiating lines from a center point, if you look at the middle of it. It's got obvious uh, carving and sculpting. And um, the top part of it um, it almost looks like it's it's sculpted to look, you know, they they have all these, they always have animals and, and all these things, and it, it kind of looks like an animal head to me. But uh, I see why you think it's an, a satellite dish because of the, the curved 
uh, edges and uh, shiny metallic sort of and the very thin substrate. It's not thick at the edge. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely paper thin. It's turned up. It's curved. It's like a, a flattened bowl. Got geometry of struts. I mean, I was involved with NASA, and I remember the the test of the unfoldable uh, high gain antenna on Apollo 14, which was the first time we were going to get real color images from the moon. And it's basically one of these unfoldable, set them up, spring loaded thingies that when you un unwrapped it and put it on the moon, it sprang out into its full parabolic shape. This looks like one of those antennas transported to Mars, to the top of this hill, which is not, and flattened by perhaps 30,000 years of sitting there. I don't think this is a sculpture. I think this is the real fossilized antenna that whoever originally landed here a long time ago on a planet far, far away, put up just like we did on the moon to transmit stunning data on their heritage back here to Earth. And we are their great, 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 great descendants, and we're following the same plan. The question is, are we going to arrive at a correct conclusion to what is lying all around Gale, or are we going to be imprisoned by one agency, NASA, that seems to take a real pride in being dumb, stupid, and lying right through its teeth again and again to the American people. That's what tonight has all been about. This is a choice. This is a demarcation. This is a break point between past history and future history. And our ancient, ancient, wondrous, incredible past is laid out in Neville Thompson's pan. And I noticed the right side of the, the satellite it's dish, let's call it. The, the right side of it is, it does not have the curved uh, thin metal coming up. It looks, and then on well, the left. Jonathan, Jonathan, if I may, I was just looking at the same thing and I beg to differ. What happened is that on that side, it's folded down. As you see on the straight line, it appears a straight line. Look at the curvature. That is the the foil. Let's call it the foil. That white area that's curled up on, on the uh, southwest side, mm -hmm. it's folded down and rusted on that side. So the curve is complete. Ah. You follow it. Follow mm -hmm. it down on the right uh, upper right. The curve comes down. Follow that line down and then follow it back up. So I think it's folded down there. And then you look at the. I'd agree with Robert. On the left that? side too, you have that bright orange spot. But you, you understand, see. guys, that if we found this where perseverance landed as opposed to curiosity, we could ask NASA to take ingenuity and fly up there and mm -hmm. take a super close image. I've often wondered if NASA has used these very small drones. They just don't tell us, but I'm guessing they would have already flown inside of these mounds and, and looked around to see what's inside of there. Well, you got to find a big enough opening. Okay, we don't have a lot of time, and I don't want to take up any more because I'm, I'm fading fast. Uh, the, the image previous, image number 12, 
everybody go to, I, I think this may be my favorite, even better than the doorway. Hmm. The one with the blocks. The yeah. blocks, the wall. Yeah. This yeah it looks like a concrete block wall. Yeah. Of a building. Well, it's, it's I, I think it's actually stone because of the color, but that could just be dust, mm-hmm. you know, blown in. But the key yeah. thing is the difference between sedimentation, which is horizontal layers deposited in ancient lakes, and then the the muds fossilized, and they become over immense times and pressure rock. Layers of sediment are beautifully symmetric, as kind of like stacks of pancakes. You start with a bottom layer, whatever the bottom of the lake was or whatever, and then you build over hundreds of thousands or millions of years. On this particular image, it's obvious that nature had nothing to do with this because nature does not build walls out of stone that are regular but offset. So each block stacked on top is in the middle where the joint is of the middle of the block underneath. That's only done by masons and contractors who basically don't want their wall to fall down because of earthquakes. This is stunning. And Andrew, did you see the effigy, the figure at the far right end? On this particular shot? Oh, I don't know. There's a um, it, it actually looks like a Chinese character on the bottom that says king. And the top part, the circular part, is similar to the sun rising over. Whatever this place hmm. was, I think it was super, super special. Gale as a whole is very, very special, as I've said for years. Even before NASA went there, I looked at some of the early MRO imagery, and I thought, oh, my God, why did they choose this one? Because they'll never be able to get out from under the evidence we're going to find, and lo and behold, here we are. That building, God, if we could have crawled up with the rover and looked at that building just a little closer in other words, this this whole landscape is filled with image after image and close-up after close-up of things that are not natural, things that cannot be rocks, things that are draped like metal filigree over that whole hill, which, of course, in my model isn't a hill at all. It's with, a, with an homage to Bob uh, Harrison. It's an ancient mm-hmm. arcology, collapsed, maybe refurbished in parts, and some later epic of Martian civilization, i.e. our own ancestors, they either from there, before they finally had to come here, or we explored it there before things got really bad and we didn't go back for 30,000 years. All of this does not have to hang in the ether because what if at the end of that exquisite tunnel and by the way, I found two more on that same uh, landscape. And when we do this again, we will bring those to the fore and we'll have another more in-depth discussion because we, we, we haven't had a lot of time to process this. This is stunning. But if this place was sacred, was it sacred because it was a preserved remnant of one of the ancient libraries? Guys, have fun. Night, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Be well, Richard. We'll see you Thursday on Coast to Coast. Oh, that's right. I've completely forgotten.
Thanks, everyone. Yep. Thanks, Keith. Night. Bye, Richard. Night, Richard. Night, Richard. Um, Andrew, now I, I wanted to hear what you were saying uh, when Richard came on. Can you continue your train of thought? Yeah, I wish Richard could have stayed, and maybe if we could grab him for a couple. If he's if he's listening to this, maybe he might come back. But this is, um, as I said, your your guys' discussion before the break, and what Ron said about why are they lying, and now Richard brought it up again is these ideas of of uh, archives of libraries and who who has linkages to them, and it made me re it reminded me of a book that, as I said, um, Robert or Robert. Uh, Richard was in, involved in back in 2015, and it was um, edited by Richard Grossinger, and it was called Pluto, A New Horizons for a Lost Horizon, Astronomy, Astrology, and Mythology. And I'd just like to read a small excerpt, and it's, it's basically talking about Percival Lowell and how he changed his life based on his time in Asia. And I'll be try to be quick about this. Um, he could quietly insert a new real planet read Pluto. So this is when, you know, when the, he found Pluto and carrying on about that, that story in the solar, in the outer solar system, in the correct orbital location, ultimately to be found by anyone following Lowell's carefully planned, but in his theory, deliberately misleading Neptunian Iranian discrepancies, which was necessary in his theory. If Lowell was to successfully hide his real off world source, for such an astonishing bonafide solar system edition. So um, uh, now we'll get to it. I'm sorry I'm dropping in and not giving much of an ex explanation, but here it is. An authentic ET archive. In fact, these are Richard's words, by the way, his chapter that he, he contributed to the book. In fact, it is quite reasonable to propose that Lowell, as a very well-connected Boston Brahim, Brahim, Brahmin, who had personally... Brahmin, who had personally lived in the Orient for many years... <laughs> who had thoroughly cultivated a wide variety of local contacts in the secular and temple communities, writing several best-selling volumes in the process on a variety of Asian subjects, which are now credited with opening up early 20th century American appreciation awareness of the looming importance of the Far East, may also have gained as a well-known American amateur astronomer with money, Privileged access to an Asian version of that proposed secret, Ron, there you go, ancient, yeah. sacred ET solar system list, a list on which a future Pluto, so this is talking about Pluto, and its critically important current celestial position and accurate planetary uh, ephemer, ephemeris, was in the model quietly preserved, plainly identified perchance as housing a rare surviving solar system ancient archive connected with a now extinct ancient civilization once spanning the entire solar system, including ruins still visible on Mars. And there's a couple more paragraphs. The existence of such a mind-boggling list, or Lowell's proposed secret access notwithstanding, what is historically indisputable is that Percival Lowell suddenly dramatically returned to Boston in 1893 after 10 years of continuously living and writing in the Far East, and immediately began refoking his entire wealth and managerial genius on the heavens. Along the way, he created in less than a year the first university-grade but independently private American Lowell Observatory, located for the first time thousands of miles away from the East Coast centers of academic science, especially Boston, in the great 
American Southwest amid the high astronomically perfect mountain of northern Arizona. And unlike the demonstrated polymath he'd been throughout his entire previous careers, shrewd investor, skilled photographer, and scientist artist, inspired public speaker, an immensely popular adventure travel writer, Percival Lowell on abruptly, on abruptly, radically changing his entire life from all that he'd been previously for some extraordinary personal reason, decided to devote his last two decades to one thing and one thing only, Mars. And it goes on to talk about what did he find out in Japan. So it, it, this just really, when you guys were talking about this, it's like these ancient archives, I think, are, 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 are they're, they're, they're lacing through our different cultures. And obviously, they're, he found a source in the Far East. And that, it just made me think of that, you guys. And I, I think it's an important piece. I wish Richard was here to comment on it. But well, one thing Richard and I mentioned, uh, we were talking this afternoon, is whoever goes to Mars and finds all these Martian gems is going to be rich beyond the dreams of avarice. <laughs> I think you got something there, and we know that it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be not public access. It's going to be private enterprise that's going to go there, right? Yeah. I think there are already private arguments uh, behind scenes between governments about setting up something similar to the Antarctic Pact. Yes. And I don't know, but nobody wants to do it. The Antarctic Pact is it was back in the. Uh, 50, in 1958, 57, they, uh, it was decided that no one could own Antarctica, you know, and it was good. Right. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, there's, there, and they, but nobody's up, uh, no, none, none of the countries actually want to do it. It was an article the other day where they drilled down, was it 165 feet in Antarctica, and there's this underground massive cavern. They compared it to a, a, a church, one of these big cathedrals, and they found all these animals in this whole ecosystem. Did you anybody else see that article? It's really interesting. Animals? What, the, what do you mean animals? Uh, little, um, they were like cra- crab-like creatures they that were never seen before. These were completely new oh. form of life. Oh, was it one of the hot springs? I'd like to make an observation about Richard's uh, number 12. While all of us were concentrating on the wall, it does look like to yes. me like a trench. And there does seem to be a carpet, a blue carpet on the ground that um, could be metallic. But I'd like to point your attention to the right, uh, upper right corner of it, where it looks a little bit up, uplifted and is casting a shadow. And it comes back and it undulates a, a bit, which, which makes me believe that uh, this is a uniform sheet of some material, could be metal. But the interesting thing is that curvature, or it curves up on the right side, casting a shadow and shows that it uh, could be a right angle. So oh. it suggests to me that this, this is a trench and that it extends, it goes inward. Uh, between uh, the the formation, the colorful formation on the right, and the uh, finished wall, so it's a very very interesting discovery. Yeah, yes, Richard, he, he didn't have a chance to mention that tonight, but we were talking earlier today where you have these stone blocks, and then on the the right side of this stone block wall, 
you can see that the texture changes from stone block to more like I thought I thought maybe like a column and then you have these colored glyphs he said it was more like a a fresco and you have the, the colored fresco images on this uh, so I'm just I did a little go ahead no go ahead I did a little tweaking on the uh, Thompson uh, pan uh, I'm it's funny. All the pictures we have of the hole, and uh, none of them, none of them showed the any of the close-ups. Or well, there's one of uh, the from that. But he did such a nice job. Anyway, uh, on the inside of the doorway, the the bit of the wall that we can see. Uh, yeah, I see a, pre, a fresco there. There was some um, um, interli- interlinear noise that I was able to remove, and when I did it sort of flattened it out and I said, Oh yeah. And there's traces of color. I, I think there was something painted on the inside surface there of that wall, just like in Egyptian tombs, when you see a corridor like that. Uh, so it's, that's, yeah, that's not unusual at all. And uh, Robert said the magic word metal about the, uh, about Richard's number 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a sheet of metal. And on the larger version of the, uh, see, I'm sending everybody to look at uh, Thompson's pan. It's uh, the, uh, it's layers and layers of that. Uh, it's like a mulch pile. There's so much of it, and they're thin, thin sheets, and they're probably metal, and they're probably embossed, just mm-hmm. like this one. And you know, uh, the titanium, the, titanium is a uh, certain titanium is blue. And that's what it uh, looked like to me. But that curve, the, the curve uh, with the lip at the end, casting the shadow. So uh, from what you said about the yeah, fresco, it sounded to me like you were looking about the, at this as a, as a flat image. But I actually see a trench going into the side of the mountain or the hill and continuing in. I wish we could bring the rover around uh, to look no. into that area. Yes. Yeah, I, I was conflating two different things there. Yes. No, no, I'm I'm on board. But if you, I was talking about looking inside the original doorway of our discussions here, and the on the left side, you know, there's the um, in the interior there. You can see that um, rough, uh, fairly rough, but rounded stone block. Uh, that's there, but I think there's something painted on it on the surface. All right. Well, we're coming up uh, close to a break, and I want to ask mm-hmm. Keith, um, did did you type that um, there was a caller waiting for like 40 minutes? Hey, yes. He goes by the name of Mars. Okay. Oh. Well, we uh, we're going to open the lines up for the last half hour after the break so um we can <laughs> we can take that poor caller who's been waiting this long um now does anybody want to add the phone number uh oh yeah good idea let's see um i've got to go find it now i know it's 917 here it is 917-889-8802 that's 917 917- Eight eight nine eight eight zero two. If you want to call in and add to the conversation, uh, we welcome your input. And let's see, we have about two more minutes. Uh, Mr. Morningstar, do you want to add anything before uh, we go to break? I just want I just want to say that um, it'd be interesting to speak in the last half hour about the convergence of Egyptian mythologies and sky gods 
with what we're finding here on Mars. Very and, cool. Okay. I, I agree. And uh, Keith, um, if you can make this break a, a tad longer, I've got to feed my cat because she's giving me a hard time. She's hungry. So <laughs> that'll only take me about a minute and a half. <laughs> but, um, so let's go ahead and uh, get onto the break. And Keith, if you can start some nice... Your music has been very cool tonight. Very nice selections. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. Other side of midnight.com. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. $0.08 an episode. Two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back to the other side of midnight. <clears throat> Pardon me. We're uh, talking with our enterprise mission, enterprise mission imaging team, 
about the doorway uh, on Mars here. And um, before we get to that, I want to mention a website that I've just uh, started working on, but very important, and it's related to what we're doing tonight. And that is AmericanAnunnaki.com. And it's, uh, I'll be researching for the rest of my life. Uh, like Mr. Percy, uh, Andrew was just talking about uh, Percy and, uh, you know, that's, that's how I am. I'm going to move out there and I'll, I'll be studying uh, this Mars 2.0 part of the earth for four years to come because there's so much to see there. So, um, Robert Morningstar, you said you'd like to chat about the Egyptian mythology and how it relates to what we're seeing on Mars. So, and yes. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. I, I forgot about that. We we have a caller oh, call, that's been yes. waiting for forty minutes. Let's uh, see if we can bring him in and join our conversation. So, Keith, uh, why don't you go ahead and and do your magic there and and see if uh, if he's still there. Uh, Mr. Mars, are you still there? Gentlemen, gentlemen, Mars is here. Welcome. To the show, <laughs> How you doing? Mars. Good. Yeah, no problem. You guys know me also as the Mad Marsh and Carrie Legere. And I got to say that this show, uh, I've been waiting. Uh, we've all been waiting, I think, uh, for the analysis of this, uh, what I call, and Robert, I think you can appreciate, the portal of curiosity. And uh, it is a fascinating feature, as well as everything around it and on it. Now, one of you gentlemen accused of being the image is fake and Robert I didn't take it wrong it didn't sound like there was in the that was I faked it all right now what's I beautiful about this is that no. No. huh what I, th- I said this is Ron hi how you doing yeah I was the one that said that I think the pictures are fake I'm not blaming you for it or Robert but uh, right but but, but, it, but it ain't a fake but it ain't a fake and that's the beauty of it because we have one angle of it which is real perfect, that is eye-catching, obviously. And then we have this angle as if it went and zoomed by, well, rolled on by. Now, which tells us what something. They were taking most the they, number? To have what? an image number. What was the image, what was the image number? Oh, I didn't grab the image number. No, I, I just grabbed the image from the, uh, from the, you know, the pan that it was part of. Because the, the beautiful thing about this, is it shows us that the rover was rolling by. It's taking pictures. Here's one problem. And, Robert, I mentioned this to you on uh, Martian Revelation, I think you could appreciate, is the, the big question, such curiosity, having so much spirit and opportunity to hone in on something which we know they're looking at by these two various angles, where's the middle shot? I want to see straight into this. And I know they did. It's only common sense. If they took it from the right angle, then they rolled on by, and then they did not take the, uh, a shot of the middle, but they gave us of the, you know, going past, just going past it there, that gives us access to that uh, other side inner wall. Now, and also brings out and shows the geometry and the artificiality of how this thing is, is cut and positioned and layered. Now, well, the beauty of it, I think Rob... Hold on, Gary. They do the same thing. The mounds all have large entrances on each side of the mound, and all they have to do is drive the rover over and take a nice straight forward picture of the. It it, it didn't even. It didn't even have to drive up to it. 
It could have stayed yeah. on the same path, which it did. It stayed on the same path, rolled along to get this other. I know damn well they looked inside of it. Come on, we're not stupid, right? So right. why why didn't they give us the middle view? We know they're taking pictures. It wasn't just one pan, then they rolled 20 feet away. No, they went, they imaged, then they imaged, then they imaged, then they imaged in steps. They got it. I want to know why we don't got it. That's the way they gave us the middle finger instead of the middle image. Yeah. Well, yes. they, there you go, because no, we're still missing the, the overall. The, the UH. That's their joke. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, I like how you brought that up earlier. And the other advantage, and I, Robert, I think you uh, talked about this on Martian Revelation, is that on from this angle of view, from the left side, looking directly at that edge as it was, uh, you, you noticed above uh, the lintel doorway where it, continues on and how it's later. It looks like something is like welded there to the two spots, the, the joint line. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. that, and, that, and that stands right out too. Because why would that be there? And that would definitely add added strength. But why would that be there out of all these other, uh, like the drawing, uh, I think, well, I forget his name there, Ruggiero or whatever did and shown of, of of the angling, this one needs to be done too, and I think we need to do a foyer because we know it was moving along, and give us the shots that what they didn't give us. I want to see the one that looks straight in. Period. Andrew, so let's see if they line up. Well, well, Ruggiero, he's the injured party here. <laughs> yeah, Gary, it's, it's Andrew here. How you doing, man? Hey, brother, how you been? Good, Gary. I think you nailed it right on the mark it's exactly what i was thinking about when i saw the image that you shared and robert picked up on it and then of course the one that we're all seeing across the planet and it's like okay so we have a before an after but what about the middle and i think you've nailed it i think the heart of the story has been taken away Indeed. once again yeah look That's how much artificiality it doesn't matter how small it is and richard brought that out not to bring up all the details about that, but uh, the email says it doesn't really matter about the size. It's the rectilinear geometry. Then he said it only takes one white crow. And that gave me a good idea for putting Robert in the image of the scene for our show. And I put the white crow looking up at Robert, you know, tossing the UFOs or catching them. But I think the size was pretty perspective accurate, wasn't it, of the size of Robert compared to the to the whole the whole way or it wasn't that much uh, exaggerated i thought it was a perfect picture for him but um but I that's, really, that's really an important part of this i think one of us could walk in, uh, uh, crouching maybe yeah that's bit. a proportional thing it looks like it's proportioned for someone taller than four feet tall it really does Re regardless it looks purpose it looks purpose, whether it's meant for someone to walk in or not. It looks too purposed. I mean, it's just even even by the weld line on the joint line on the lentil. I mean, it's there's just too much there. There's too much art there. Very, and like very, I said, many. Even, yes. even though I'm yeah, even even though I express my skepticism about the picture because it doesn't have an image number, I think you hit something that's important in that. There are five pictures that we know of that are available, you know, mass cam pictures taken by the uh, Curiosity rover of there. Three of them are their smaller format, which is supposed to be high res, but I don't think it is. The ones that they only use half the frame, so you get the impression of a wide angle. 
and the other two are just, you know, regular square frame things, more or less square. In each case, in the case of the two full frame ones, in one of the two pictures, the doorway is on the extreme left side of the picture. In the other one, it's on the extreme right side of the picture. They could have centered it, obviously, uh, if they wanted to. Uh, in the case of the three of them, same thing. Ding, ding, ding. You know, they bounce back and forth, and they avoid taking one but right. They didn't look the, inside the no, damn thing. There's no, but there's no image showing inside the thing straight on. And we we could see obviously right, exactly. just by us walking, boy, us walking past the image. We know that it just rolled a few feet, and then it took another image. What happened to the image in between? I'm sure it even continues taking them all along. You I mean, when I mean all along, since the landing, they're seeing more, much more data than what they're showing us. Oh, they're, they're, they're taking an image, and what, you think that's cruising 20 feet without taking further added images? They continue, they can make animations, animations uh, that look so real, and which are by taking all these uh, image videos and, and uh videos and no imagery and piecing them together themselves for their database, but we're not getting that database. This is evidence right hey, here Jerry, to it because uh, we can yeah. see it obviously just Jerry, rolled a few feet high. I'd like, as the moderator of the show, I'd like you to tone mm -hmm. it down a notch because you're sitting at a table with all of us and you're kind of shouting and we're, we're sitting right here at the table. You don't need to shout. So bring it down hey, a notch. Hey, dude, don't take no offense, man. I'm all here with, I'm all, yeah, I'm all here with respect. This is, this is how I talk. It's not to be an offensive at the volume of someone's voice. I don't know what to tell you, bro. But uh, there's only one other thing I wanted to bring up. Robert brought up, like, Hellas, how deep it is. And Valis Mariner is how Valis, he said about Hellas having uh, the atmosphere, like like the, the cloud cover. And what is beautiful about that, it matches up to the line of, obviously the top of the surface, just like Malice Marineris, where we see that too. But I'd like to bring up something. Remember, those are much deeper where the barometric pressure would be more suitable for a potential atmosphere to exist on such a thin atmosphere world, because Mars is not all flat, right? Now, and also, what is clouds? Yeah, that was the premise to that classic science film, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. He went down well, to the bottom of Marineris, and the air was denser down there. Right, but what are clouds? I'm not saying I'm not. I think that's a good idea, but I. Ron, I want to clarify. You're missing the point here. Yes. The point is that when yes, we uh, yes, take Robert. a section, when we take a section from a gigapan, it uh, it doesn't have an image number. So the gigapan is actually the source of the photographs that um okay well which uh, all right i'll have to well i'll just well, the, I'll, the I'll take your word on that posted, the one that richard posted they're not the giving us I, all of them you're saying yeah. that that bad that bad that door that's taken from the other side uh came off of there how could that from happen another, from another gigapan i suppose because that's yeah I, right i'd like to know where happen. the other one is yeah, well, I took it exactly. I took it and if I if I locate it again, okay. I'll throw you the link because I'm a cool guy like that. All right. Now, what I was saying, what is clouds? H2O, water vapor. Now, of course, therefore, there's water on the planet. We know Maven just came back on, really, uh, from a safe mode, really, uh, kind of fixing like the ingenuity issue there. With you know, uh, now. 
it is detecting, you know, water, atmosphere, you know, water vapor leaving the atmosphere of Mars and whatnot. But what about the atmosphere at the lower levels where we really should have sent some? We could check the parametric pressures there, the, uh, the gases that may be there, and the potential liquid water to be there. And didn't we get a report a month or two ago saying that that's the way they discovered a whole crap load of water? And really? Well, is that a, such a surprise? Hey, let me tell you a little bit about water. There's a lot of Please, water. Gary, rocks. you're scaring the children. Yeah, Robert, what? There's a lot yeah. of water in rocks. When rocks there ain't too many children listening to this. Yeah, well, water, when, water, um, when rocks are heated to an extreme temperature, water comes out of them. That's why the, the volcano in uh, Tenerife is, is fuming and steam is coming up at the sides. Because when the, when the rock becomes molten, water is released and it seeps up. So there may be a constant source of water beneath Mars uh, wherever there is uh, enough heat to melt the rocks. So it's not just surface water we're talking about. Uh, we're Good talking point. about evaporation that may be coming up through the, through the moraine. Robert, Which, I'd like to hear what you have. But here's my here's my point. Wait, uh, if, yeah, if, if yeah. In, these, in these lower levels, in these lower levels, let you go now, Keith. Um, not, thank you for calling, play. Gary. We appreciate it, but you're a little too much for me. I don't like sitting at the table with somebody that. I, I, I recommend you read a book called by Dr. Michael Cooper, "Change Your Voice, Change Your Life," and then you can come back to the table. Uh, wow, dude, and, that's messed up. I call here all good respect, so, all consistent. Uh, Robert, anyway, what the relationship of Mars in mythology and also um, these things that we are discovering that are really reminiscent of Egyptian architecture, or, or, uh, Egyptian symbolism. And it's my belief that uh, we are the Martians, that uh, the human race uh, evolved here, but that it, it uh, evolved as a result of uh, a Martian migration. And for all we know, you know, the mythology of the Bible with Noah's Ark, Noah's Ark could have been a spaceship that brought life to Earth. So I recommend to people the movie Mission to Mars, because everything that I deduced from my observations of planet Mars in 2003 and again in 2005, which were very close approaches, uh, convinced me that this we have a relationship with Mars and that Mars was devastated both by asteroid impact, uh, perhaps an interplanetary war with a planet whose remnants are now called the asteroid belt, and that life migrated here. And in the end of Mission to Mars, when Gary Sinise and the other astronauts walk into the Hall of History with the three-dimensional holographic representation of the solar system, what is depicted are the two asteroid impacts that um, I, I mentioned, the Hellas Basin and Solus Lacus. And then in a very beautiful ending, the whole evolution of life on Earth as a result of one Martian goddess, Isis, who comes here and drops the DNA into the oceans and starts uh, the, uh, the cycle of life here. So I, NASA, whenever they talk about extraterrestrials, they always say, oh, it's impossible for them to be here because nobody could have traveled here from other stars. And this is ridiculous. That's a red herring. Yeah. It's a local phenomenon, life in the solar system. And I point out to people that Mars 
uh, was in close proximity to Jupiter and Saturn when, when they lit up. In the beginning, the early part of the solar system, Jupiter and Saturn were suns. And so the 12 moons of Jupiter and the 11 moons of Saturn were many solar systems and life could have evolved there first. And hopscotch, going closer and closer to the Earth. The other part about underworld gods. Okay, hold it there, Robert, because there's a Star Trek Next Generation episode that just came to mind where uh, the the young boy character, I forget his name, um, but him and his girlfriend are on one of the moons of Jupiter and they're looking out and uh, it's just a beautiful view out of 10 forward, uh, Wesley Crusher. And uh, it just made me think of that when you were talking about... Uh, it's got to be Ganymede, having, right? Yeah, have, imagine going there to have dinner on Ganymede and, and just a beautiful view out, outside the window. And that's how, that's how it would have been back in the day or maybe in our future we'll have that again. Yes. Uh, Robert, uh, Robert and Gary a little bit just gave me an idea. Uh, one of my favorite movie... Uh, on a personal level, never mind classic cinema or anything, uh, relative to space things happens to be Jupiter ascending. And in there, Earth is a farm planet, so to speak, to not like give anything away. And yep. I, yeah, I, I think it's brilliant and most of it's correct. But the uh, uh, what if there were two? Since we had two planets in the Goldilocks zone, perhaps they, uh, that were viable, perhaps Mars was one as well. And perhaps it had something to do with something we can't even imagine that destroyed both of them. And the remnants ended up. Excuse me. Here's another point that I learned by uh, studying UFO documents relating to the period of 1947 through 1952, when uh, UFOs started to buzz the earth, uh, MJ-12 enlisted the major. astronomical observatories to start to watch the motherships because the ones that come down into our atmosphere and land on earth and and do their deeds, uh, they are deployed from motherships and motherships took, took uh, positions, orbital equatorial orbital positions. So the U S government asked a major lab, um, astronomy, um, astronomical observatories, to see where the motherships were coming from because they were being recycled. The mothership would come in, would deploy ships, and then it would leave. They found that these ships were originating near the moon Titan on Saturn. Mm. So, again, the, the reason I mention this is there's a book called Fly Me to the Moon by Ed Bell Bruno of Princeton University, and he is the world's foremost expert on gravity and uh, gravitational steering of spacecraft. He wrote a book called Fly Me to the Moon, and I was at the opening. He picked up the book, and the chapter I came to was at the beginning of the solar system, Jupiter and Saturn were luminous. They were stars, but they died out and got cold. So I say to myself, if there was life starting up, or developing on those planets and the sun got cold, where would you go? You'd go to the next warmest planet and migrate. So I think that this, that this uh, thesis has uh, some basis in science. And the other idea about underground gods, if Martians came to the Earth 
the sun would be blistering and they would not be able to live outside for very long periods of time. They would have to migrate underground. And so the thonic gods, that's C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C, thonic gods would be, would be explained by a race of quote-unquote gods, super intelligent beings from Mars, who could not take uh, the atmospheric pressure outside and could not take the sunlight. So they would have to retreat underground where the priesthood would go to uh, confer with them and uh, get receive orders and mandates, whatever uh, gods do. So doesn't the Hopi, doesn't, yeah, doesn't the Hopi uh, mythology talk about the fact that their ancestors lived underground? I believe so. Almost every, almost every culture has uh, mythologies about denizens of the underworld. Uh, Tibetans, for example, you know, the Tibetan uh, discovery of those caves and the Chinese discovering the electric plates. When they deciphered them, it said that 25,000 years ago, a very ugly race of aliens crashed in Tibet and they horrified the Tibetans. So the Tibetans turned against them and killed them and buried them in the cave and guarded the cave for 25,000 years. And that, um, so. Hey, guys. Good. On the topic of um, underground, that's one of um, uh, Gary Legere's um, concepts as well. He is very adamant that either the Martians existed underground or had to retreat underground or even are still underground. One of his fond sayings is – what does he say? Illegal aliens or something. And I can't remember quite quite what he says. But he – listen, I I thought he brought a really good point. I just want to circle back to that real quick. I, I was feeling the same way is why didn't NASA release the images straight down the gut of that entranceway? And uh, I, I really thought that was a salient point to the show. I just wanted to add that before we, yeah. we finish off. I agree. I, and I, it's yes. just Gary's voice that, that grades me. And, and, and um, I want to mention Arthur C. Clarke's film 2010, which is kind of the opposite of, of what Robert Morningstar was just saying, where instead of those stones dying out, they – they create a new sun using Jupiter and increasing its mass and so forth. And then all those, all those moons orbiting Jupiter are now habitable and humans can go there and, and be like Wesley Crusher looking out the window at at Jupiter while they're having lunch. Yeah. I think the current count is something like 67. They keep finding more satellites for them, but I think Jupiter has what 67 right now something like that it's way more than 10 or 11 there's a book that's worth reading called the Ringmakers of Saturn by a man named Norman Berglund and it has to do with observations astronomical observations of uh, you know they have these things in uh, in the rings of Saturn that they call shepherd moons that seem to be carving out alleys or rings new rings so I think this is much more life uh, out there than NASA is willing to admit. And I do believe that there is life underground. You know the glass tubes from many years ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the glass yeah. tubes seem to suggest to me that there is uh, underground uh, civilization still uh, extant on Mars. Yeah, and guys, I remember uh, what Gary said now. Subsurface illegals. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. As above, so below. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Oh, so we're illegals too. Okay. Uh, you're running out of you're running out the clock, by the way, Jonathan. Oh, we've got four minutes to the end of the show, and uh, let's have some final thoughts. That's an, Keith, that's uh, enough for all the secrets. You you look like you're busy, Keith, but do you want to add to the conversation? You haven't had much of a chance to say anything. Is there anything you want to add? Yeah. My images, uh, the two images I had, uh, I'm just surprised that I'm seeing what looks like a a shark or a tuna next to a, a, a seal image in front of that door on the right side. Uh, I don't see anything else like that around it, but they look like they are – some kind of large cartouche like the Egyptians would do. And uh, maybe they're a symbol meaning something that we don't understand yet. But there could have been somebody buried in there, a small child or something, if they're saying it's small. But I know it's not four inches. But even if it was four inches, the the, uh, channels in the Great Pyramid that go to the King's Chamber and the Queen's Chamber, how big are they? Okay. They had a purpose. We don't know what that purpose is, but this had a purpose. So that's my something NASA missed. Is, no, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go it ahead. was additive, not replacing it. So finish your thought. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm done. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, even if it's only a few inches, and in if it, if that doorway was only a matter of inches uh, in size, then the rover would not have had to have tilted its camera up. Up 40 degrees in order to take those pictures. You know, you can tell that from the foreground. You know, it was it was tilted back quite a ways to to image that stuff because it couldn't roll up any closer. And if they were only inches across, the whole hill would have only been you know a couple dozen feet high, and it wouldn't have um, uh, it could have shot straight across. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, good point. Okay. Yeah, so. Yeah, you have to look at the little stuff because, I mean, when that gives out the big lies and then we're left with little clues as to why it's ridiculous. But you have to be accept, have to accept the possibility that they're lying in order to entertain those ideas. Yeah, and the aliens are watching us very closely uh, to see how we handle disclosure and, and how we manifest it. So uh, we are being observed. Obviously a hot topic, yeah. Well, well I don't probably like that we are the Martians. We, we are the Martians. We are the Martians. Back at we, home. Are, we are the Martians. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we have 90 seconds until the end of the show. So <clears throat> I'd like to thank my guest tonight. Uh, there's a whole host of folks, and I don't want to forget anyone. And, Ruggiero, we didn't get to very much. Uh, next show, we'll, we'll give you some more time. And be sure to catch Richard this uh, Thursday night on Coast to Coast. Uh, that'll be, I'm sure, a very interesting show. And next weekend, we'll be back with more intriguing discussion on Mars and all topics um, hyperdimensional. Thank you, and have a great night, everyone. <laughs>